I have um, Urban Dictionary up because I have to be able to translate these words you use. These uh, slang terms that I have no idea what you're saying and I, I need to know if you're insulting me or if I should be like, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I don't think Urban Dictionary is the right place to go because there's some pretty nasty stuff on there. You probably want to go to Afrikaans to English translation just using Google. Well, yep. that was the other thing I found out. As I was typing in your, your slang, I was like, this isn't British slang. This is it's South Dutch. African slang. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's Afrikaans, which is Dutch-based. Dutch mm -hmm. Yeah. So Pat Patterson uh, tricked me once. Do you know Pat Patterson? Salesforce that's, uh, yeah, it's, he, well, he, he left Salesforce, right? I just saw Oh, him. that's right. He's yeah. meta daddy on yeah, Twitter. That's right. That's it. Yeah. Sad days. But anyway, he's, he's doing well. Um, but, uh, he once uh, started texting me at Dreamforce 2014 when I couldn't make it cause I was making twins. Um, <laughs> we, um, <laughs> he started texting me in Afrikaans. I thought, oh, maybe this guy's got some Afrikaans, uh, heritage or at least has South African heritage. Uh, yeah, we had a good little banter, but then it turns out it's purely British and was using Google Translate the whole time. Uh, uh, <sighs> Typical developers, you know. So when you call someone an oak, is that a is that a South African thing? Is that a Dutch thing? What is that? Yeah, it's a it's a bit of uh, it's South African for sure. But I actually found out that Home Oak is how the surname Holmes came about, um, because no Holmes is actually a British term an ancient British term for where people used to live near home Oak. Uh, hmm. I can't remember exactly how it works now. So I was like, Oh, well, you know, Oaks are good, are good trees. And so Afrikaans people say, how's it Oak? And, uh, and it's generic, it's asexual. So you can use it for anyone. And I was like, right, that's my thing. You know, I'm going to bring that to English, to England, and I'm going to make everybody use it. So uh, it's it's uh, it's working, you know. Yeah. My wife sounds my wife sounds off, uh, South African now. People don't say ask her if she's where she's from in England. They say, "Oh, are you, are you from another country, from Australia, maybe?" Or I like that. I'm influential, you know. Now, Sean, I I could probably name two South African cities. So you've got Johannesburg, and you've got uh, what, Cape Town. So, yeah, so, the two capitals. So um, so. You can only be from one of those. Which one of those are you from? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we cannot expand my, geography, my, my knowledge of geography here. You must fit into yeah, his world. Yeah, one of those two. It has to fit my mental no, model. Well, I was born in a place called Velkom, which actually means welcome when translated literally welcome. Uh, and that's in the Orange Free State, which is about, I don't know, two hours drive from Johannesburg. Is that a friendly and town? Then, uh, yeah, it's very friendly. That's where they used to beat up black people just for fun, you know, and they oh, still wow. do. Oh, my gosh. So, it's, uh, yeah, super friendly, just as long as you're the right color. And, you know, people, people um, talk about how the United States just is this terrible country, and we're, we're so racist, and we're all this stuff. And I'm like, if you can go to almost any other country in the world, and it's more racist than the United States is. You know, I don't know. China, I think, I think um, <clears throat> Africa. Um, I don't think we've got a race problem as such. Let's not get into this, but... Uh, I think people battle with culture. You know, I just think that, you know, like even here in the UK, man, you, you drive from South Bristol to North Bristol and the accent's slightly different and all of a sudden there's like, oh, that guy, you know, yeah. he's dodgy, you know. And you're like, why is that? Oh, because he's from North Bristol. And you're like, oh, shut up. Well, But it doesn't, you know, it, obviously color just makes it easier. You like see somebody who's a different color from a distance, you're like, oh, It's bad. lazy. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's lazy. It's, it's, it makes it so easy for us to discriminate. You know, you don't have to actually yeah. listen. You can just see them from afar. <clears throat> I reckon we should, if we ever want to go bomb other places, you should, you should only do it at nighttime 
and you sh- you're not allowed any kind of uh, discriminatory yeah, e- advantage. E- equal opportunity bombing, right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. So no, uh, uh, then uh, so Valcom was where I was born, and then I lived in a place called East London uh, in East La- in South Africa, which is in the Eastern Province. So that gets really confusing, especially when you're trying to pull in London, UK, and uh, and the bird you're trying to pull is from East London in the UK. And she doesn't quite get that you're not from East London, London. Uh, so this has been confusing just trying to describe it to you guys. But anyway, so. So pulling birds, this is a new one as well. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm yeah, aware of bird as, to, uh, as a slang for a woman, but pulling birds. I mean, I guess I was that's, like. That's a new phrase. This, is that how Ladybird Johnson got her, her name? She's a bird? This, again, Who's Ladybird Johnson? This is probably something that is considered sexist in the United States. <laughs> What, pulling birds? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. It's just, oh. you, have to, you have to be careful. You have to tread lightly around here. <laughs> yeah, no, I am. I, I, I'm, I, je- I'm normally in trouble for something or other. So oh, I'm, I'm getting good at yeah. kind of. At least conversations saying, with you are never boring. Exactly. At least, at least you own it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially when I take you to pool joints in your country that are probably the most risky in San Francisco. No kidding, man. That place. I thought it was fine. It was in it was one of those kind of like seedy neighborhoods of San Francisco, but I thought it was fine though. I never felt concerned. And we got an Uber. I mean, they weren't afraid to go there. Right? That's true. Although our Uber always <laughs> took us halfway home. That's right. <laughs> he, he he accidentally <laughs> ended the trip, but at the same time he he started another trip for people that wanted to be picked up. And I'm like, dude, this isn't where we want to end. He's like, oh, he's like, well, you have to get out because I already picked up these other people like in the computer. <laughs> Okay, we're in the middle of this like which super was, dodgy which area. Which was fine. I, I I think the other reason we got dropped off was because he, at the time, I think he was trying to navigate us because they're so much blocked off from, from uh, the event from oh, Dreamforce. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. So 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 the Uber not go to the Tinder Zone then? Tenderloin. Yeah, that's um. That's, isn't they that where we were? It the yeah, tenderloin. I, that's yeah. Cool. No, we, no, we weren't the Tenderloin. That's not where that was. I don't think. I, I think be. we were in it. Yeah, Maybe or at so. least on the yeah, we were outskirts. In the tenderloin. Of we we weren't far from the Tenderloin Police Station. Okay, well, that's probably where we were then. Yeah, and that's that. That gets pretty <laughs> scary. Um, and it's, it is San Francisco. This, this is a place where you know you'll be on one block, which is one of the most prestigious you know areas, and then you walk three blocks over. And you are literally seconds away from dying. <laughs> <laughs> Only in San Francisco. Hey, sounds like home, man. Yeah. So, you know, go to South Africa. That's always the case. You know, so, you walk around any street corner and that's, you know. So, okay. Speaking of Uber, that reminds me. We, John and I get annoyed at when people, you know, nowadays everything is, oh, we're gonna, they're going to create the Uber of medical Uber equipment. The, yeah, the Uber for this or Uber for that. <laughs> and uh, I, I ran across this clip. It's, it's Gary V. You guys know Gary V? No. Gary Vaynerchuk? No. No. Oh my gosh. Okay. So he was the guy that, when I mean, he got to start uh, running this uh, liquor and wine and beer store called Wine Library somewhere in New Jersey. And he got famous because he started doing videos online. Oh, what does he look like? Videos. I think I know who you're talking about now. I don't know. He's like this little short Russian short, dude. Short haired, yeah. nerdy looking guy. Probably. Real skinny. But he's, you know, he's real out there and he's over the top. And yeah, I know what you're talking okay. about. Yeah. And now he's runs a like 450 person social media consulting company. It's, it's just, yeah. it's ridiculous. You yeah. know, he's had all these best-selling books, but anyway, he, uh, I wish I could play this whole clip, but he, it, the language was just too bad. I'd have to bleep too much, but I did, I did grab this, which, uh, I enjoyed. If this works. Everything, the Uber of everything. Uh, Everybody's calling the, everything, the Uber of everything. <laughs> I'm the Uber of humans, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah. Everyone's calling everything the Uber of whatever. You know, I kind of like it. I got to get that on the, the soundboard the, too, by the way. I kind of like that, that being in the UK for that reason is that everything here is kind of so played down. So we don't, it, I just don't hear that. Do you know what I mean? Like people don't come up and, um, and I started sort of angel investing on a very small scale just to sort of start wetting my, um, my lips kind of thing. And, uh, and people don't pitch like that. It's quite interesting because the people I speak to in, in, in San Fran or whatever, always saying, oh yeah, you know, they refer to it as the Uber of this. And I'm kind of like, what? You know, so yeah, it's a, it's odd that I don't ever hear that. Well, since you're an investor, I'm building a, an urban for developers tool. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we've been I hearing just wanted this, you to have your this, first Uber for pitch. We've had this this promise in the last five podcasts, and so far nothing, dude. You know, it's going to remain a mystery have- until at least June. Well, we were talking about at lunch how half the time nowadays I feel like a short order programmer. Maybe I'm the maybe I'm the Uber. Maybe it's that's the Uber for programmers. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I got lots of questions. This is not a good model, though. So, <laughs> But yeah, this is probably questions. not the forum, but uh, but I, I mean, I'm not a developer by any means, you know, I'm, I'm the business guy, but inevitably every time I listen to the podcast, I'm kind of like, hey guys, stop, just wait, 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 you know how you talk about this? What about this? What about project management? And, you know, so, uh, so be careful because I might start becoming the interrogator rather than the, you know, I don't know, assistant <laughs> that, podcaster. That's fine. Guest. No, you're, you're an equal amongst, uh, amongst hosts great you're a co-host that's the way this works yeah but i'm, I'm not done with south africa though so do you first of all do you okay. speak do you speak any afrikaans i can't afrikaans but yeah okay that says i can speak it but i make up so many words these days when i speak to my mom she's just like what the hell are you talking about so uh so you ever sadly, just go into into that mode just to mess with people that are frustrating yeah you? i mean, I'll, I sometimes teach my wife some secret words because there's so many times where I want to say something about somebody, but I just can't say it because, the, you know, they understand me. So I've taught her a couple of phrases and every now and again, I'll say, yo, die amazing. Says, <laughs> and then, and then Jenny goes, okay, I understand. We'll leave now. Now, Sean, you just have to tell me, you have to give me the time codes of what I need to bleep because I don't understand what you're saying, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it might need to be bleeped. <laughs> No, I won't swear or anything, you know, like I'm, I'm really hoping uh, that my network in South Africa will pick up on this podcast and love those few phrases, you know? Absolutely. We need some, we need some South African listeners. <laughs> Have you not got any? I don't know. I mean, I haven't oh, heard from a, any. It's a, <laughs> it's a growth, uh, it's a growth uh, uh, industry in South Africa. So definitely I'll, I'll make sure the, the voice gets heard. Well, so if anyone is listening from South Africa right now, you need to tweet us. At our amazing Twitter handle, Good Day Sir PDCST. <laughs> so easy to remember. That was you know, because yeah. I couldn't fit podcast into the Twitter. <laughs> I think I created that. I think I created that. Did I not? Well, you created it, but you called me at the time because you're like, I can't fit this. Yeah. What do we do? <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. South Africa. If you can speak Afrikaans and understand it, can you speak and understand Dutch fairly well? Yeah, and I got into trouble for this last week, so I'm going to have to be very careful about how I phrase it this week. But um, when I speak to Dutch people, they understand me very well, um, because obviously Dutch, uh, Afrikaans is a bastardization of Dutch. So, but what the way they put it is that it's the softer side of the Dutch language. So we still have pretty hard ers and fachs and you know stuff like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Excuse but, you. Uh, 
Yeah, so we've got places called Achenes, and you know, w- which is quite a rough sound. Yeah, I mean, do you um, have to say it like you're angry, or if you, if not, do they not understand what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, that's what that's what the Dutch people say is that we're not as angry. Okay. Dutch people are angrier. They're not angry enough. Know, so yeah. All, yeah, so all of their words are much sort of much harder, more often, which is why it's so fun to swear in Afrikaans, and I, I won't do it now. <laughs> But but it's but it's it's brilliant, you know. So there's some parts of South Africa. Okay, you might have to just bleep this little bit if I go into it. But if you go into sort of West Cape Town, you get something called a Cape Coloured, um, because they live in Cape Town and they happen to have sort of not black 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 skin and not white 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 skin. So they're kind of like the brown skinned people, you know. And the reason they're that way is the because Mexicans. black people. No, well, it's the yeah, Mexicans sort of, of Africa. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's the Mexicans <laughs> of Africa because essentially the. The um the Asian people were brought over as slaves and then, you know, had sex with black people and produced the middle, you know. Um, but these guys swear so beautifully. They're like, you know, and stuff like that. And they almost sing it. It's yeah, brilliant, oh, yeah. honestly. They're like, they're flowing yeah. c- cuss words at you. <laughs> Was that when we it had is, to mark? Yes. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I think if it's not oh, English, it doesn't know. count. <clears throat> No, you're only going to offend the South Africans. We, we have an official clean rating on yeah. iTunes. <laughs> but you have to be able to understand it to, to know That's if true. it's explicit or not. So, Yeah. And I didn't, I, all, I, all I said was, uh, um, you mustn't look for trouble because I'm going to find your mother and, uh, and make sweet, passionate love to her. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like a very nice <laughs> thing to say. I'm going to have to remember that one. She might be yeah, good, exactly. I'll teach you. I'll teach you. That's definitely something to bring up in front of a, a you know, lovely Afrikaans family in South Africa, especially if you're trying to date the daughter. So, Sean, are you familiar with this um, w- wine grape varietal that is native to South Africa? Do you know what? Not really. No. When I left South Africa, I never drank. Oh, so, okay. when I left South Africa in 2002, I was a sort of semi-professional surfer, a uh, wave skier, actually. And, uh, uh, yeah, so then I didn't drink not much anyway. And, uh, it's only once I arrived in Ireland that I realized that you just, you're just an outcast if you don't go to the pub and drink at least three times a day. Oh, in Ireland. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're just showing up that, that stereotype we have of Ir- Irish people. <laughs> there goes all of our Irish listeners. St. Patrick's day here is just beer, beer, beer. <laughs> Yeah, well, I tell you, like the, they'll beer. be the first to admit that when I arrived there, I was a, I was completely blonde haired, beautiful young boy, you know, totally innocent. And when I left there, oh my god, you know, I was, uh, yeah, <laughs> not sweet and not innocent anymore. Uh, so the the wine grape is called Pinotage. Is that yes, I know Pinotage. Oh, yeah, Pino, oh, Pinotage. Pinotage. It's yeah. a um, oh, it's a cross between Pinot Noir and Cinso, which is a. Uh, like a Rhone French grape. I've had yeah. some that are pretty good, but they can get really funky and like, like smoky and meaty and weird. And almost barnyardy too. Hmm. I've had some really, really good ones. Oh yeah, you I'm like those. Not, I'm not, I'm I not a fan of those. The kind that air on the side of manure almost. Yeah, that's yeah. gotta be the, the Pinot Noir in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. He's brought some wine over to me and I'm like, this this tells, tastes and smells like manure. Yeah, well. And he's like, that's good. Is. I don't know what, what's wrong with you. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I must admit, red wine is my nemesis drink. Like, I've missed two New Year's parties because I've fallen asleep where I was sitting um, after drinking red <laughs> party, wine. The party so, started pretty soon for you then? Yeah, I like had the first glass of red wine 
And then, um, yeah, it started on the next one. And the next thing I remember waking up and everybody was completely trashed and it was like half past one in the morning. So, do you have like yeah, a so red one mustache and everything? Yeah, exactly. You know, so I've tried to stay. You know, if you're the first one to pass out, you know, stuff happens. I believe so. People have told me, and apparently there's some movies around, but (laughs) I haven't seen those yet. (laughs) Uh, So, Sean, are you an Apple or a Windows or an Android guy? Um, I'll be proud to say that I sold every piece of Windows piece of junk uh, in (laughs) 2004. Bought Apple stock and Apple equipment ever since. And my Apple stock has made me very, very happy. And my Apple equipment has kept me sane. So, yeah, yeah. Apple all the way. You, you switched Apple before stock. I did. I, I think, well, John, you were both, you know, we were both right around 2006, I think. Or... Yeah, you went probably a, a year, maybe six months before I did. And then, and then you actually, you forced me into it. You bought me it. That was when I was a technically a, a, an employee of yours. You were my boss. Well, we were, yeah, we were an employee of the same company. Um, but yeah, I came back from a trip and you're like, here's a MacBook. I was like, okay. <laughs> well, you wanted one, did right? Yeah, we I talked we, about it. I'm sure it. we did, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of an expensive computer just to be like, oh, here you go. Here's a MacBook Pro, which you might or might not use. <laughs> here you go, my good friend. I bought one. you a two, what? That was an expensive one. It was like $2,500 or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Before that, I was, I did, you know, two or three years on Linux for my desktop, well, laptop, but for my desktop. And that was interesting. I have a virtual machine of Linux, but I never do anything with it. Yeah. I, you know, I think I'm pretty sure next year is get definitely the year of Linux on the desktop. It's always next really? year. Just as long as you keep year. saying That's, next year. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know anyone who uses Linux on a regular basis. I mean, I know people run Linux servers, yeah. but I don't, um, I don't know anyone say, who day to day uses found its home is, is really just the server market. In the Salesforce world, uh, James Ward runs, he's been a long time Linux on the laptop guy. Mm. I mean, for, at least ten years, probably twenty years. <clears throat> yes, no, James. You probably find you probably find he does that as a as a showcase, but then he goes home to his you know twenty seven inch five K <laughs> iMac, sits back and goes, "Oh God, finally!" There's a lock vault room where he goes in and that's where. He- yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, uh, I, I think I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure that James would, uh, would agree with that. <laughs> I think he's pretty hardcore <laughs> Linux. Um, Maybe for security though, because all the security scares at the moment, it has been a bit more concerning you know just what are these companies taking and just what do they actually have what do they have access to it's i mean i try not to get too scared about these things try and look into it a bit more listen to the podcast of course try and get some insight from you guys but um yeah it 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 is becoming an issue where you start to think you know it'd be nice to have a few other players in the market where you could kind of keep the competition a bit more absolutely on their toes but yeah so it's a bit disappointing that that doesn't exist but you know what as long as apple stock keeps going up i don't give a crap at the moment well that's that's why i've I've definitely been ushering in or enjoying this uh kind of windows and microsoft renaissance in general that's nothing but i don't don't use much windows stuff uh much microsoft things i I, you know that may be changing a little bit though if they keep on the pace they're on but at least they're providing they're they're providing competition keeping apple on their toes it's always good well, Visual Studio was kind of like my first love, and you always go back to your first love. So, you know, I, I still have Windows on a, well, on a VM, and I still you, run it, you, and I still build stuff on it. <laughs> I, st- I still go back to it. Yeah. You still find yourself looking out for your 12-year-old sweetheart. Yeah. 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 John, John <laughs> really? we go in the back I, room. I, I, stock, I stock my Visual Studio on, on Twitter and everything, you know. You, st- <laughs> you keep the box, that, that Visual Studio box that it comes in and 
Then the, that's just then my OCD, but I did keep a lot of the boxes <laughs> pristine. And everything. Well, you joke. I saw somebody selling some stuff on 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 eBay a, a couple of years ago. He sold like his his first iMac, and and he did well out of it. I was really impressed with the guy because I always used to rip him off and say, "Oh, why are you keeping all that stuff? It's just junk. Toss it," you know. And he was like, "Aha! You know, one day you'll laugh." And uh, yeah, and he sold all this stuff, and he he did well. Yeah. If if you ever want to get something secondhand, you want to get it from me because I. I am meticulous about it all. Like I've, yeah, I've like sold same. game never... systems to to like GameStop and things like that, which is a local computer uh, yeah. gaming store. And they've literally come out and said, "You know, is this new? How long have you had this?" Because it was just clean and pristine inside and out. It's just like I'm going to buy your truck when you when you decide to sell it. <laughs> looks brand new. John John has what? I, I can't control How old my that kids. Ten years old. Yeah, I can't it, control my it kids. It looks brand new on the inside. Really. Mm. On the I just bought too, a new I mean, coin. It's totally shafted already, man. And I really hate this car anyway because I wanted a Tesla, and and unfortunately the Model X is like eighty grand or something stupid, and it's only coming out in two years. So I was like, right, that's out the picture for the moment. Yeah. And then and the Model S is just too. It's got this sort of fast back, and I it, it's just not comfortable enough. So I was like, right, that's a Tesla out. And then the only other car that has um, anywhere near the capability is a Mitsubishi PHEV. And I was like, oh, I had my heart set on this thing. And it can't take three baby seats. So you know what I had to buy? I had to buy a bloody VW Sharan. Yeah. Uh, a Sharan. It's like a freaking, oh, God, it's ugly. And anyway, it's, but it's stuffed already, like, like you it, say. It could be worse. See, <laughs> see, in my house, my wife has the sports car, and she, she has kept it through all of this. And I'm the one with the SUV, the truck. Yep. <laughs> I'm the I'm the soccer dad that has to truck everyone around because my <laughs> wife wants her sports car. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's the sacrifices we make for children. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. makes sacrifices. No, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say. <laughs> hey, that. trust me. We always we always I have to think say, of the children. I watched the births and I try. I really wanted to do a home births. So I could do it myself. And I watched all the YouTube videos and I was in. I was like, right, I'm set on this. We're going to go to some remote location so that I can do this thing. And then, and then I was like, okay, maybe the doctor's a bit at it. So, you know, we were, now we weren't, we weren't going to do a home birth, but we were definitely going, uh, to a birthing center, um, yeah. for, with our first son, but he ended up being face presentation. But yeah, I got, I was a Bradley trained birthing coach. I got trained for like six months and had to study all the stuff. And I could tell you way more than you want to know about the anatomy and how babies no come out. I have you keep all this information. Jeremy is a walking Wikipedia. <laughs> It may not all be accurate, but he knows something about everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know a little bit of useless facts about a we'll, lot we'll of different things. We'll meet some random person somewhere, and we'll just have a conversation, and they'll bring up something, and he's like, oh, yeah, I know about that. And they'll just have a conversation. I'm like, I'm sitting there quiet going, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. I got nothing to add. It's a good conversation, <laughs> Very though. good. I think that's the best way to be, though, because when you become a specialist or something, then you become boring. You know, if you think about it, because you narrow down the options you have, which yeah. is probably why I network so well, because I could, I'm similar to John in a way, into Jeremy in a way, in that I can, you know, I've, be, I've traveled, I've, you know, done so many things and, and I've had like different in, in, experiences business-wise and stuff. So I can generally slide up to anyone and there's no fear of looking like a twat, you know, because at the end of the day, I'll just say, look, I don't know a lot about this, but is this what you mean? And they're like, oh, yeah, oh, so you've tried it, have you? And I'm like, oh, okay, let's go. I was going to say the same thing. I feel like I can relate to most people in some way. I've got some kind of common ground. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it may just be a personality thing. But Sean, you said something a minute ago about uh, the whole Windows versus Mac and security um, and these recent security scares. I don't know if you were talking about this FBI thing, but have you have you been following that? So the... 
the FBI was basically, or there was, they got a judge, a judge order, um, court order to, to, that was going to force Apple to basically create a, an insecure version of iOS so the FBI could crack this phone. Yeah, no, I've been watching this and, and I, I'm not, you know, completely up to date with the law, but, um, but, I, but I do know that they couldn't force Apple to do that because essentially you can't force people to do anything. Well, it, and so, so are, could, you, are you them, leading up to say, an update on that story? Because I actually have it in my yeah, notes no, as an update to that story. Kind, kind of, but yeah, I, just, no, I, I kind of wanted just to, to kind of lay the background. And one thing that John and I noticed, or at least I did, I think we talked about it, was, you know, a lot of these tech CEOs really got behind Apple and were supporting them. But Mark Benioff was asked point blank three times in a row, and he would not come out with any kind that of answer. Weird. Which makes which makes you wonder, well, has Salesforce been approached? Do they have to give? I mean, this is a really important topic for any companies that run their business on Salesforce. Like, why won't he take a position on this? I mean, has has Salesforce had to give over data? Have they had to? Have they uh, been forced to provide a backdoor or well, some a keys or something? I mean, you've mentioned it before, and we talked about this with encryption. It's it's not hard to get to that information for them. I mean, it's not encrypted, so they could easily do it. The issue with Apple is that because of all the security measures they have built around, you know, the hardware specific security measures with the thumbprint finger and scanner and all that kind of stuff, they would actually have to write and modify their software to be able to give yeah. the FBI access to that information. Right. Yeah. So I watched this I watched this uh, late night with Oliver or something on YouTube. I can't even remember his name. I'm the worst, but he's a, I don't think he's a comedian. I think he's a journalist that he does com- comedy as well. Uh, John Oliver? No, um, he's definitely a comedian. John Oliver. Who pretends to be a journalist. Yeah, he's a yeah. comedian. <laughs> but, the thing is, uh, but the thing is, he's not speaking nonsense. Like the, the, the way he presents the comedy is, in fact, based on fact. So, so Apple can't produce a backdoor for just one phone. They would have to write it so that any phone could be unlocked, and then subsequently that breaks the Apple security model for all of their products. So and it, so I mean, one for of those thing- of us as consumers, now we know there's a back door somewhere out there, and you know, yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden, yeah, Microsoft so like saying, products are looking a whole lot better, right? Yeah, exactly. And so, but the thing that I think the reason that the courts couldn't force a, a, a company to do this is that you couldn't, you have no jurisdiction over something like Samsung or Hawaii or any one of these other manufacturers. So you'd be doing your own companies a just justice and injustice by by forcing them to do something like this. So I think what, and I also think that, you know, watching it as an outsider, um, the cops or the FBI had access to information and they were trying to set a precedent going forward. And it just backfired. You know, I think that all this press and everything else is, it's always a game. And, you know, like Top Gear, I don't know if you follow Top Gear in the UK, but it's so farcical. You know, they're about to release the new Top Gear and this time it doesn't have Jeremy Clarkson. And what do you know? They went and did something naughty in the center of London and spun up some cars around, you know, a particularly sensitive um, um, war memorial Mm. um, occasion. And it's all over the, you know, all the tabloids are covering the Top Gear story. And you think like, yeah, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not by mistake that that happened. It certainly was planned. It was orchestrated because these companies are not stupid. Uh, you know, they know how to game the system. And funny enough, like, um, it, without being, without saying sexist, because it actually came from a female today, she was like, it always seems to be male-oriented companies that are doing this. You know, that whenever there's something hot in the, in the press, you know, like a war or, or some serious disaster, 
there's some kind of PR spin-off coming from, you know, these gaming companies that are gaming that PR, gaming that media, that free marketing, free media. And, you know, and right now I, I go with that. I think, you know what, um, Tim Cook's not an idiot. Apple stock was tanking for a bit. iPhone sales were sliding for a bit. China's slowing down. Why not put the story out there? You know, the FBI asks quietly. They approach him quietly. Why not say, yeah, these oaks have approached us. We refuse, damn it, because we look after you guys. And back at the ranch, they're taking all our iCloud data and filtering it through who knows what and building up who knows what ne- you know which product's next based on that information. It's just a game at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you're, wait, so you're telling me that CEOs might might take um, some kind of uh, something that's in the news and and spin that and demagogue it for their own benefit and public exposure? <laughs> I can't think of anyone, any CEO uh, who would do that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it's you know, well, you, I don't know. Yeah, your your take on Benny Hoff, though. I mean, I, I, I've I've only been in his presence once, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, was it a pro- was it a profound experience? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it did actually affect me because oh, it was at the it was at the admin um, keynote last year. I remember when they did the final admin keynote, and uh, all the other you know top uh, Salesforce people walk around with no guards, you know, and um, and then he comes in and he's surrounded by this this heavy like you know protected element, and I just kept thinking, you know, like. Um, it's strange how he's, what is he doing that's so controversial that he feels like his life's a threat when he's around his own people, you know, because at the end of the day, he runs a CRM company <laughs> and, and you would vet your customers coming to your event, surely, because you've got their access to their data. You can see what they're doing. You can, you can check out Twitter and they've got Radiant 6 for goodness sakes, you know, like, uh, you know, I just find it so interesting that this guy's. You know, see, not he doesn't doesn't necessarily um, live out the life that he he preaches, and and I find that interesting because I don't see Tim Cook with these heavy guys, and I don't see, uh, you know, any of the other. I mean, maybe there are we just don't get to see it that often because, of course, there's no Dreamforce for Apple. But you know, but you know what I'm getting at. I just I, I, that struck me. I kind of sat back thinking, you know, if I was that convinced that my tools were that smart and. And that my security and everything was up to scratch. I'd know that Sean Holmes is sitting in the room. Well, doesn't he even you know, have his security detail at the like these small MVP events and things? Well, I haven't been to one of those. Uh, we'd have to ask an MVP. <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't the first person to mention the, this kind of security detail, but it, it may not be a tr- a Benioff request type thing. I mean, we, we've said before that Salesforce hinges on on Benioff. I mean, it's success. With isn't is isn't there without Benioff? I mean, his his character, his charisma, his his ability to sell. What, what are we what are we supposed to believe though? That, that, that Larry Olson's you know out to get him and he's gonna saying, put a head be, on him. Come on, the, he's worth this three billion dollars, and his insurance company said, "Hey, you know what? You need to walk around with some guards because we really don't want to pay out." But your, I think Sean's point's good. I mean, everyone, all these other CEOs have insurance policies but, on them, and they're okay, not walking so around Tim like Cook, that. I've only seen Tim Cook on stage at. At his, you know, Apple events. I've never seen him actually walk around, so I can't speak to that. You know, it's a big difference between Tim Cook and Mark Benioff. Tim Cook's mm. company makes billions of dollars a year, and Mark Benioff's makes. company... He has billions of and, dollars and, of cash And Mark in the Benioff's bank. company loses money every year. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... God, you guys are making me defend him again. Well, and also, I mean, it's like, what, what, <laughs> what are, what are they saying? protecting? Are, he's are, worth is $3 billion. This? The company's success hinges on him 
He has three his, billion dollars worth of Salesforce stock, is what he has. Well, I was going to say this is what I always find so, what I find interesting about how they evaluate his net worth because what is his net worth if you he's only worth he's only has three billion if he capitalizes all that stock and as soon as he does that it'll depreciate Salesforce stock exactly so. So, so it's not, I mean, those are just numbers that people suck, you know, and say if he capitalized over a period of time, he would net that. Look, he has other investments, you know, he, sure. he's, you know, you know, he's got Fitbit and he makes all the other, you know, his investments clear. So that's good. And, he, you know, he's done well. But I just, I did find that interesting because part of, you know, part of what we were just, what we were going to get onto is customer service. So when we go back to, um, look, all these big companies seem to be trying to reduce the amount of of uh, after purchase service because that's costly. You know, cost of sale is easy to work out because you put you know so many people in front of customers. You put a website up, you tweet, you can kind of work it out, and you can kind of say, okay, cost of sale for these devices reduces over time because it generally gains momentum, traction, like the iPhone. The cost of sale on iPhones come down. Because now people are talking about it and it's the go-to phone. If you want a great phone um, with the ease of use, with you know, a really good um, software backup, etc., iPhone. And then you go to the Apple store and you get really good service. And, and, and to some extent, the store is actually pre-sale as well because it's unlikely that if you've ever been to an Apple store and had that service that you would ever go to, you'd ever switch because... You know, where do you go if you've got a Windows phone and it breaks? You've got to post it off somewhere, you know, and then who knows, you know, who knows who gets it on the other side? Do they take a data? Do you know what I mean? So the customer service from that perspective is the, the, the stores are actually considered pre-sales. They're actually part of the sale rather than support, but they provide an excellent support as well. Um, and that's, you know I mean? that support is a, that's a big selling feature of Apple. I mean, forget that their technology, the quality of the product which is what it is, but the fact that you can go into any Apple store and there's these guys who will just, you can, with whatever problem you have, and they will help you with it. That's a yeah. huge well, that's selling that's exactly point. right. And any phone, I mean, I was in, when I was in San Francisco, my phone is on the blink, um, and I just popped into the store, and they swapped it right there. No quibble, you know, just took it off, flattened it in front of me, uh, and gave me another one. It allowed me to sit there and restore from, from iCloud backup, once it's happy, I was out back in, back in Dreamforce, you know, absolutely no problem at all. It's like, there was no hassle. They knew who I was. They, you know, they, know, they knew where I got the phone from. They knew it belonged to me. Um, but you know, so, yeah, so, Sean, think about it. You know what allows them to have that level of support, though? It's, well, it's because they keep it all, in, all themselves. It's, it's maintained internally, and they've also started with that strategy of the customer. That customer experience has to be brilliant. It was simple. It's, it's, it's very simple. Like, they don't do a hell of a lot. It's not like you can walk in and say, oh, our photo, you know, I'd really like it to do this and that. They'll say, look, I can do this and that, but there's a course for you. Come back and do the course. Sure. But they won't change our photo for you or say, actually, our photo is tailored for you. They keep it super simple. Yep. And if you don't like it, go buy something off the App Exchange. No problem. So, you know? so okay, so you're saying that's because they're so vertical. <laughs> the Apple Store. I just, I just had to correct you because you... You're so entrenched in the Salesforce world. Everything's an app exchange to you. Well, I was, I was going to, that's a good point, because I was trying to refer back. <laughs> I thought that, you know, Benioff actually gave Steve Jobs the, the did, domain appstore.com. Benioff, you know, had the rights to the kind of Apple Store trademark, and, or I'm sorry, the App Store trademark. 
So. Exactly. So I often often think he missed the boat because he obviously had the idea, and he, and perhaps he is a great ideas guy, um, but not necessarily showing his prowess for delivery. Because again, you know, like twice last week and the week before, um, I had to work with Salesforce support, and I just it's fundamental things that you think you know if if you knew your own product and you actually used that product yourself. You wouldn't be. You wouldn't have a, a, a service case that takes two weeks to resolve, and it turned out both of those issues were absolutely basic problems. Mm. But the support reps didn't know, and I reached out. I reached out to the um, to the community on one of them, and it went berserk, man. Like I had nineteen thousand hits on on Twitter. I've never had nineteen thousand hits before, um, but it just goes to show. Like even the community chimed in at large. Um, and couldn't resolve this problem because it was a fundamental problem with something in Salesforce, but it was basic. And then right. through the networking, it got to the to the person who actually wrote the product, who I didn't know and wouldn't have found other than through this using Twitter. And and he chimed back saying, "Okay, look, the problem solved. Carry on." But you think, like you know, if you if you tweeted Salesforce support or actually raised a case for it and said, "Look, this link's clearly broken." Um, here's the screenshot, here's the URL, please help me because, you know, I'm, I can't do any work here. I'm, I'm a customer suffering. And they're like, okay, yeah. But the immediate response back was something stupid. Like, can you provide the URL? I'm like, read the stuff in case. So, so I have, I, I lined up a perfect <laughs> clip to kind of introduce this kind of segment where we start getting into service and support. And, and I, th- I think it'll, it'll resonate with everyone. Okay. You have my clip? I know. What is it? It's in your iMessage. Okay. I don't get. I didn't get an iMessage. Well, it's because Jeremy was supposed to line it up. <clears throat> oh, that's sorry, okay. Yeah. I can handle. I can go on the fly here. Who's a professional? IT. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and on again? Hello, IT. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off yeah. and on again? <clears throat> I love that program. Hello, honestly. IT. Yeah. Have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> Saying stop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that fixes it a lot of the time, right? <laughs> but it, yeah, that's, that's that's what you get when you call when you call Salesforce support is is you get this kind of first entry level where they're trying to. I guess the okay, let's talk about the idea of support. So the idea is that that when you come in, they need to kind of vet you and see how serious your problem is, how complicated it is. Is this is it some kind of known issue or something that can be easily resolved? Um, oftentimes, that entry level person that you're talking to is relying purely on knowledge base within Salesforce. So they're the taking, is, they're be, taking your issues. If, if that were true, if that were true, it would take longer to search the knowledge base and come back with a suggestion. They're not providing suggestions from knowledge bases. Like I, if, if I, I could, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to be part of the problem rather than part of the, this, a part of the solution rather than part of the problem. <laughs> Oh goodness! No, Freudian yeah. slip. Yeah, yeah. Right the first time. <laughs> yeah, so the truth always like comes report, out. <laughs> <laughs> I like to report the problems, but no, it's true. I like to be part of the the solution. And when I booked it, I gave as much information as detailed as I could, so that the person reading the case could say, "Okay, here's the link. Let me click the link." Do you know what I did? I I was sneaky and I made it a Bitly link as well, so uh, I could, so you track, could track it. it yeah. If that link was ever clicked. That no one clicked the link. When I put it onto the when I put it onto the um, the partner uh, forum again, it was a tracked link, and even the SVP 
of this particular product or the VP chimed in to ask me if the problem was resolved. If that person had clicked that link, they would have seen, based on the case notes, it, that, the, that it wasn't. It was obvious that the problem wasn't resolved, but they didn't. They're being recorded on time to resolve. Exactly. So for that guy, he gets a case, he goes, um, can't get images to load. Reply, can you send me the URL? Like, dude, read to the bottom of the message because it, you would have seen I provided that already. And then, and then, then it goes up to second level support. That person comes back and says, please provide the URL. And I'm not even kidding here. That's the, that's the response. I was kind of sitting there thinking, this is a company that, that shouts about customer first. And like, like I say, again, I'm not trying to- No, they're a, to they're a customer company, themselves. right? Customer, customer company. Customer company. Yeah. yeah. And, and as part of that, you have to live it. You know, like Apple live what they do. You know, Steve Jobs spoke about wanting a thousand songs in his pocket. So they created the iPod with a thousand songs in the pocket. And then all the devices come from that mindset. And people even more recently are like, why would you create an iPhone 5 SE? It's such a backward step. You're so, and you're like, well, you know, innovation isn't always about changing, you know, the world. It's about giving something to somebody that they want. So the I, for one, would be happy to have the same iPhone 5 shape, size, width, etc. because I've got all the accessories for it. I've got the bike case. I've got my motorbike case. I've got everything. I just want it faster, and I want more space in it. So, so they've answered my need. It's, that's innovative. That's great because the technology is better. It's faster. There's a better camera. It doesn't have the bulge on the back. It's going to last longer. It is an innovation on what I had last. So if you take that same principle to Salesforce, you say, well, um, okay, we've, CRM is as old as the, you know, it's, it's been around since business began. You know, we've had Goldmine that did a lot of what Salesforce does today without the platform, of course, and without the cloud. But, you know, it does a lot of, it did a lot of this. Um, but, the, but the problem is you just can't get basic support for problems that you can't continue your work with unless they solve their problem. You have no way, like there was no way I could even register for this organization without them being involved. And that's terrible customer service. Yeah. You know, for the fundamental thing about getting onto Salesforce, I could not do because of something on their side. And I think, you know, where I say maybe Mark should have spent more time with, with, with Steve was to come back and say, okay, the fundamental product has to be better if you're going to charge a premium for it. Because in last week's podcast, you guys were asking the question around, is Salesforce expensive? And look, if you consider the platform, if you buy an 80 pound a month or, or, or dollars or whatever a month CRM license, and you only use accounts and contacts, you've got a mighty expensive contact database. Right. right. But if you, if you utilize the 25 sandboxes, and you've got a development team building and using that correctly. And you've got, you know, that alone, just the sandboxes, forget anything else. That function alone is worth that money. Because if you were to build a CRM, you know, a Sage CRM server in your office, then you had to build another one, just one to build to, as, a, as a sandbox. You're going to incur double the, the, the licensing and double the costs of your, of your network. Then you have support, then you have backups. Salesforce doing that all for you. And you get 25 of them, you do now. So if you consider that in, term, in relation to the price by itself, okay, all of a sudden, it's a very, very valuable, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's a valuable product. 
then so, you look so at you're making the, the case that, that Salesforce as a whole is a premium product and that its support should be able to match that. Yeah, because at the moment, that's the thing that lets it down. Like, as a customer, I mean, John, you go on about the cloud, you know, the, um, is it cloud? And I agree. I think that the, you know, you can actually get a, you can sign up for Salesforce without interacting with an AE um, because you can get a trial. You can get a 30-day trial, uh, build it out, build out your entire business. You get all the functionality in that 30 days. And then when they phone up, you don't have to go out and, you know, have, have drinks and whatever. You can just say, right, you know, I've got 100 people um, and I want a 30% discount. And, you know, if, you, if you're not happy, well, then we'll just move it on to, you know, another database, you know. And they will just do that. They're not going to argue the toss over, you know, what else you're trying to build, et cetera. But, but more often than not, companies go straight to Salesforce without using a consultancy or without having internal knowledge about the platform. And I actually I, think, I think that's from where in terms of screwed. evaluating the software, I think that's true. I, but I mean, I, I don't think any any actual purchase happens without an AE or you know some kind of. Oh no, no, but that's what I say. But no, no, you're you're right on that. You, you you will have an AE, but you know I did it in the past where we we bought we we used we downloaded we got the trial. Mm-hmm. I say we downloaded we we got the trial. We built it out. We were happy with it, and we just paid the guy. So right. he phoned up and try and try to give us the spin. We're like, look. How many, how many licenses do you try to get you to buy, though? <laughs> You're like, oh, we just well, need, we, like, we, five. Well, and he's like, oh, no, you need ten. <laughs> well, no, that didn't happen either because we there was no negotiation from our side. It was, we've got, you know, 25 people. We need 25 enterprise licenses. We understand the licensing model. We just, you know, just send us the invoice for that, and we won 30%. That was it. End of discussion. And we were prepared to move on at that stage. And he tried to come back and say, oh, well, no, you know, three years is how much we'll give. And we were like, okay, well, thanks a million. Um, we're happy to go back to Dynamics because it's actually, we actually get, we're a gold partner for Microsoft anyway, so we'll just use that. And then they were very obliging to come back and say, all right, yeah, we'll give you your terms. So, you know, you can do it that way, but I think the problem is that the majority of customers at the moment go into that sales channel, which at the moment, I think, again, does Salesforce an injustice because the majority of those AEs have not been in Salesforce for very long. They haven't got the breadth of experience of what it takes to get a company onto the CRM platform. Yeah, so I mean, as the, a, it's, as it's, a, it's the standard turnover of sales, you know, I think just, you know, the, the constant pressure to meet the quota and to, to make those numbers. Yeah. But I, I think as a whole, I mean, I think we kind of transitioned into sales, but, you know, I still wanted to talk about the kind of customer service side of it because I know kind of sales is part of the kind of customer service experience, but... I think more often than not, what, what we experience as developers or even, I can only speak to the developer side of what I've experienced. I can't speak to the admin side. I'm not sure if the admins are experiencing, you know, really great experiences with Premier support. You know, they have, Salesforce has both Premier and Premier Plus packages. Hmm. Um, I've interacted with those people and, un- and fortunately, I was able to work for a larger, really big enterprise company that was not getting support. And I got the chance to sit in front of a, a group of people and kind of just air my grievances. And a lot of it was just around that, that tiered level support where I'd have an issue. I know exactly what's going on. I, I can prove it to you. I have all this documentation, but I have to go through tier, uh, <clears throat> tier one and the guys in knowledge base. And then I get to tier two and it's someone who's a little more experienced than the first guy. And then I get to tier three and I actually get closer to someone who's, who understands what's going on. And what they did is they, they allowed me to leapfrog one and two and go directly to tier three. So I could always 
all my issues went to tier three. I had access to a technical architect and I had access to, I think, I think their role was like a success manager. So they're basically assigned to the company and anything mm. we needed, they would try to escalate or manage or work through. They were just kind of our support person. So from an enterprise level, that's how they kind of solved that from a customer perspective. But for, for anyone else who's kind of just dealing with premier support and things like that, they're still having to go through the tiered, the tiered model. I mean, we, we have, we have like these SLAs of, I don't know if it's an SLA or is it some kind of service level agreement or something where they'll respond within two hours, but we all use Salesforce. We're using what they're using and it's an automated workflow that says, we got your issue. Yeah. We've, Mm. we've, we've met their criteria. It's a two hour response. We've met our criteria (laughs) of meeting that two hour response because the system sent an email for us. You know, exactly. You know, that's that's my problem there. As before, but but I think when we talk about, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the problems again, but providing, you know, providing a suggestion going forward is that you guys have written your certs, yeah? You, you've both got your, what's it, what's it called now, platform developer or whatever. What, do you know what I mean? You, you do your ADM, it used to be 501, you, ADM 201, ADM 401, and then platform um, dev 501 or something. I don't do you know even I mean? know if I have the platform. I don't honestly, and I just <laughs> renewed. I waited. I literally had about two hours left before I lost right, it. If we want to get a tangent, I mean, the certs really only matter to partners in the community. Well, no, no, I was going to say, no customers ever asked me and said, how many yeah. certs do you have? No. Yeah. You know, but this, have is, this is where I think it's problematic because I think that that qualification route should be more um, valued in terms of when you book a support case, they should say, this person has these certifications and therefore, we are going to skip stage one and two, irrespective of who the customer is. So if you go in as a consultant, because this is another thing about the partner program, I, mean, we're, I run a, a, an SI in the UK, um, and we're constantly at that, pro, you know, at that log ahead where we've got a problem, the customer we're dealing with doesn't want to pay for premier support just to get to tier three. Mm-hmm. So as the SI, we'll end up going through the, the nonsense. Um, and look, they're going to pay us for that. So at the end of the day, we don't mind. But we don't want to charge the customer to sit and talk to some numpty. We want to charge them to give them great value. We want to be able to demonstrate value. Don't want to have to sit there at the end of the month and say, I actually had to spend three hours waiting for a response to this, you know, support that, you, that you're not paying for, but you kind of are paying for. Do you know what I mean? You don't want that. You want to say, okay, as a partner, we have so many qualified people. Therefore, when we log an issue, you can you can avoid tier one and two. Maybe charge the partners. Well, I, I think I as know. a partner, but, I mean, companies are expecting you to be the experts on it and to have but access. But you can't be, to, as, you, as you know. Yeah, you, you I, I know. I know. And I, I, just, I think from a customer's perspective, and I think you're right. You know, we don't want to pass that on to our customers, but because the kind of, the expectation is that we're experts in this, we know how to implement this. We have we have you know contacts and networking that we can leverage to make sure that this goes as smoothly as possible. And it's an interesting idea. I think you had that. You know, maybe the, the certifications could be tied to support and, you know, at least kind of validate that you at least know what you're talking about. Well, the thing is they have, they, they run an MVP program, so they must be getting feedback. That's the whole point, isn't it? That you've got a trusted network of people that, that aren't going to hold back. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, we've, we've had five MVPs at Design It. Now we've got three at the moment. And from my perspective, these are people that, we want to stand up and say, look, guys, we've got these problems. What's, what's the resolve? How are we going to work with this? Because it's causing us pain. We can't serve your customers, which are our customers, the, at the best we can. 
but it doesn't really seem to filter through that channel. So, okay, so we'll put the MVP channel aside for a moment, but then you've got the partner channel and, you know, it's, they've gotten better, much better at working with partners. But even now you've got this, you know, has it really, you, you, has it well, really gotten is, better so, yeah, with partners? So the, so the, it, it has worked in, in terms of how they manage us. So now you've logged into your portal, you list your leads, um, and they're better at responding. They're, they know who you are. But the problem is the AEs don't know. So when they, a new customer comes up, they don't go to the app exchange and find the partner listing. They just know who they spoke to last, and they might never have spoken to you. You might be the expert in a, an expert in a certain area. So then they just, you know, it's almost a thumb suck. It's who you get to know. And look, that's part of business as well. I understand that. but. I think that that partner engagement channel should actually start to surface the people who are best at dealing with certain problems and be Salesforce's go-to network before they use a support channel. So if that makes any sense. So if you say to somebody, well, you know, this customer is in this region, they're, they're, they're about to, you know, implement financial force or whatever it might be, they're going to have a financial force strategic partner. And if any support cases, et cetera, are logged from the platform, that partner has an allocation of time where Salesforce pays for it or whatever to deal with those problems. Almost like the MVP program, but, but protected by Salesforce. If those people don't get through it, then it goes to Salesforce's professional services and the sort of you know, platform developers, etc. cetera, um, Adam Seligman's crew, his new crew, to deal with. Because that way... So, so let, me, let me ask the magic number with your plan. Because I'm in business development no, mode now. What is it going to cost? Yeah, I was going to say, and, and well, this is, we're trying to get to ten no, billion here. This is what Salesforce's no, response to that would be. It's, it's less because, <laughs> no, no, but it's less because if you you already have partners, Salesforce already has partners. So, so at the moment, the, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't know for sure, but I believe they're going to make that partner program a lot more stringent. So you won't just get people who can, you know, I know loads of companies who've signed up as partners just to get the free licenses. You know, because you get two partner licenses, two full enterprise licenses as a partner as part of the program. So if you've got a, you know, a a recruitment consultancy, why not set up as a partner? Never do anything about the partner program, but you pay your grand, you get two free licenses. That's half price. Why not? So we've got a whole bunch of these people that are sitting in there and they think, oh, well, you know, I'm going to just hire a couple of people that are IT guys. They'll pick up the Salesforce thing. We'll start doing some consultancy on the side because it's good money, you know. Like we take a few on boards, we'll do, and before you know it, you've got a whole bunch of hoo-hahs running around. So if they just, if they wipe that clean and say, okay, we're going to take that away, and it's only people who are stringently, you know, trained and they can pass the bar, and then the top tier um, support people have to pay. So Accenture, for example, pays a huge amount of money to be um, the strategic worldwide alliances partner, whatever they're called now. Uh, Deloitte pay a huge, huge amount of money. Registered partners now pay a thousand pounds a year to be a registered partner, thousand um, dollars. If you be a, if you're a silver partner, you pay five thousand dollars. I can't remember what gold is, but it's a lot more. So they're paying to be and a they, and, they, to, to and, be a, and you get your arm twisted to support all these local events and Dreamforce and everything oh, else. Of and maintain your certifications. Certifications but, are a big part of that. But you know why Salesforce yeah, does exactly. that to so, partners? You know why they do that to partners? Because they can. <laughs> <laughs> right no, because no, look, they can I, they I can. don't just I don't just agree but they can also say to those partners we would like we'd like to leverage the resource in in But you know what partners res- are doing that, that partners money. partners have figured out that that Salesforce premier support isn't cutting it for a lot of customers 
and this started a few years ago where where partners have started saying, "Hey, we'll be your support. We'll we'll sign an admin to you yeah. to, to do these activities." Support, right? Partners sell we, this. We'll exactly. be your, we your do first that as line well. of defense yeah. and support, sure. and we'll tell because we know your system. We implemented it. We know exactly what's going on in there. But Sean's point is well, that these partners, that as, as much as yeah. as much as they may be willing to help their clients however they can. There's, you're only limited. I mean, you're limited in how much you can do. You don't have access to the source code or the behind the scenes or any kind of runtime or any, any more access than they do. Heck, you're, you have to use their credential, the client's credentials to log into their system. You have no access to these things. Hmm. You can't, you know, you're getting a GAC and you want to see the stack trace. Too bad. You don't have access to that. Yeah. You, so you've got to call and fight your way through. Yeah. Salesforce, that, listen, Salesforce has scoured the planet <laughs> for the cheapest, most oh, least young, you know, trained uh, people they can find to put on the phone. So, so Salesforce has hired a four dollar an hour person to sit on the phone with Sean's one hundred fifty dollar an hour consultant, and they're battling. It's a battle of wills, and Salesforce is going to win that every time. They're going to come out on top, and we have to go back. I sorry, guys. I the gotta, thing is, all there though, because the customer service is something they promote. Like they just released the. Um, it's it's well, it is it's just, it is a reality. Is, is, is that a, what's is that what's more frustrating than anything at this point? Is that what we're saying? That, that the fact well, that I Salesforce think, is, is has kind of advertised and branded this huge marketing platform, this success, this this is how you can be great for your customers is with these tools and this software, and yet we still have these issues I'm, with Salesforce. And I'm going to coin a new term. It's the Salesforce reality distortion field. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that does work. It, it, you know, we it, it does the PR and the marketing work. But I think that that lady that stood up in the admin zone, the admin keynote, and say, called their marketing juvenile, um, wasn't far off the mark. Perhaps the term juvenile was incorrect. It's just I missed that. Was, I got to go back because, and find the recording and see if that's in there. No, but it, oh, I bet I it's not on the key. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's been stricken from the record. And, yeah, and also, the, it, you know, it did, it did interest me, though, how, again, you know, Mark's gone on quite, quite uh, you know, extensively about equality, but the way he spoke to that woman, um, the head of marketing at Salesforce, I don't know her name again, I'm terrible with names, but he said, whatever your name is, say it was Lorraine Kelly, it's not, but let's just say, Lorraine Kelly, stand up. And he gave that, like, extraordinarily firm, you know, like, you get up and you answer this question. And I was like, you flipping, you know, you stand up. Yeah. And I tell you what, I will phone your own flipping help desk with my mobile phone number, which I've registered with a million times, and you won't know who I am. And that's mm. a classic example of where your marketing says, oh, know anybody from wherever they are, from any tweets, from any whatever, but your own help desk number won't know that this is Sean Holmes of Designit, a partner. He can help. He's useful. He's helpful. Let's just put him straight through. Let's go, hey, Sean, how are you doing? Uh, love the last tweet. You know, great that your you know, kid's hanging from a bar or whatever. How can I help you today? It's not that. Well, you know what? That, that's funny that, that you say that because my advice to customers when, whenever they need to contact Salesforce or log a case, I tell them, don't mention you're working with a partner. Don't mention this custom code at all. Just mention this very specific issue because as soon as yeah. Salesforce hears custom code and partner, they will send you back to us yeah. and say they have to deal with that. Even though we're saying we've done everything we can, we believe this is a problem rooted within the Salesforce platform itself. If you mention us or custom coding at all, they will send it back to us. I mean, they're looking for any, they're look, they have a list of reasons and they're looking for any one of those reasons they can give onto why that they need to close that case, case closed. Because like you guys said, 
they are measured by their what is it time to resolution or time right. to, time to case close right <clears throat> yeah and you know what my yeah. I got uh, was thinking of this earlier I remember my master black belt trainer guy what they had a saying he was he worked at um, not Honeywell Six Sigma uh, black belt yeah or, Six Sigma or karate black belt uh, which, no which what are you talking about uh, not Honeywell he, I think he worked for GE I can't remember one of the big Six Sigma companies and he said that he had this they had the saying there tell me how you'll measure me and I'll tell you how I'll perform. Basically, exactly. if you're gonna, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. You can if you pick one of these metrics to measure people by. They're just gonna game the metric, and then what? Okay, congratulations. Hey, everyone's time to close a case is uh, less than thirty minutes. You know, congratulations, right? No, because you now you have pissed off customers. To it, well, exactly. If you pay enough money to any one of these, you know, best in your quadrant surveys or you know analysis pieces, you always land up in the quadrant you want to be in, and I think that's. You know, a classic, another oh, yeah. classic mistake, uh, we might be getting onto marketing here, but um, some of the most, you know, influential marketers of today's time are honest. That, you know, Microsoft recently did an, um, uh, an advert in, in a national, international probably campaign about Internet Explorer, I think it was nine, or it could even be 10, where they said Internet Explorer 10 sucks less. And I was just like, wow, that is so brave. Yeah. Like that is, that is actually cool. Now that you've said that, you know, I can, I know I hate it, but now it's less. And you're telling me that you're honest. So I'm likely to trust you when you say something else good about it, because you started by saying, look, we know we had a few problems. We're working hard at this and this and this, and this is what we've come out with and improved that. What do you think? So you're saying and, a Salesforce for, came out with a campaign that said, our premier support sucks less now. <laughs> that that would be interesting, but you'd no, be like, "Oh yeah, but this look, is awesome news." <laughs> but look at the distinction. Well, I mean, what slang word would you say for awesome? You'd be like, well, "How would you phrase that?" Like a like a cheese china. Did you say like a cheese china? Like a cheese china. Like a che- I thought you said like a cheese. <laughs> but anyway, look like at the a- distinction. He's talking about how how much you know when someone's honest, you'll trust them. But look at how, and maybe this is just me. I don't know. I won't speak for anyone else. Well, no, no. But remember, would, honesty is, is hard at first because it's a hard hitting message. Is. You know, like if you turn on and say, "All right, you know, so the support is rubbish. So what we're going to do is we're going to scrap tier one and tier two. Tier three is mighty expensive, but if you use a preferred partner, we will include it as a you know as a preferential rate because you're actually getting some of that money from the partner anyway. Yeah, but not near enough. So you say, not you know, near enough. You got partners are way more expensive than their internal support are. No, 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 no. What I mean is, let's say you're a you're an IBM. No, that's that's silly. Uh, you're a Coca Cola, and you're going to use Accenture. Trust me, Accenture pay enough to Salesforce for Salesforce to say, "I tell you what, Accenture, we're gonna we're not going to charge this customer. What is it? Twenty five percent of your licensing costs." We're going to charge them 2% of your licensing costs for premier support because the chances are you're not even going to use us. Yeah, but not everyone's going to afford Accenture teams. I mean, Accenture's going to want to stick like 20 people on your project. Whereas, you know, some of us in, our, in these smaller, you know, groups are going to want to, are, are, you know, we're, we're more specialized. We're, we're boutique, if you will. Yeah, like, we, no, but we're the same. But, but the but thing we is, don't, if you're not a registered partner. We don't rate partner. on Salesforce radar, so there's really very little reason for them to say, yeah, those guys are trusted, unless unless they come out with some kind of new certification thing that we have to do, and that's just going to snowball into this other thing where we're just kind of going through the motions of certifications to do it. I, what, I, what I really think is Salesforce needs to invest in their customer service. They need to, to revamp it and make sure that they have the right people who who can actually communicate and talk about the software who know the software mm. i hate to do this yeah, to you no, john you i hate to do this to you, but you uh. and here's why I, I have to okay i gotta i gotta pause we have to go back this is a callback 
Okay. Oh, this, this is a professional thing here. This is a callback. So Benioff sold S- Steve Jobs, the name App Store, right? I yeah. think he and, gave and it that to him. That was 10 him. years ago. I don't think he, he sold it. Yeah, he gave it to him. 10 years ago. And what has Apple done with that? Well, they've printed, they've, they've literally, their earnings are hundreds of billions of dollars. What, is, what has Salesforce done since then? Nothing. They, they are still not making money. They're struggling. They, you know, to make money, they're now a six, what, 16, hang on, hang on, let me get this out. Okay. 16, 17 year old company. They've been public for 10 years now or however long it's been. They're up, they're on this $10 billion run rate. They're certainly going to do $7 billion this year and they cannot figure out how to make money. So every time you guys talk about them giving discounts or, or using some of this partner money or using some of the extension money or whatever, it's a big because that money is already allocated. It's, there is no extra money here. There's yeah. no extra money. That's what you're saying. I mean, the name really doesn't really matter. I mean, it's, it's, Apple could have called it Billy Bob's store and it would still be doing what it's doing. It's still costing Salesforce 50% right. of their revenue to sell and market, just literally to get people to the point that they're signing on the dotted line and giving their credit card. It's costing mm. them 50% of their revenues. Until they, can figure, until they can figure that problem out and learn, figure out why it's so expensive to sell Salesforce and to keep the revenue going, then they're, they're never going to have enough money to resolve these issues. Because, guys, everything, everything we've been talking that. about, everything we've been talking about today they know about this. They've heard about this. They do listen to partners. They listen to uh, MVPs. They probably even listen to podcasts. And they certainly listen to, they certainly listen to Twitter. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> I would be ecstatic if, if, if Benioff so, at least listened to one episode of Good Day. So I'm saying, I, I, I'm I, saying I, I, I don't think we've said a single thing that would surprise no. the people at Salesforce who are responsible for this. They know no, it. They're doing the best they can with the resources they have. No, but that's not true either. Did you I just call those people I resources? I disagree with that because they've got... <laughs> Damn you! Look at, the, look, at the tier, <laughs> look at the tier within Salesforce. I mean, how many employees now? It's in the thousands, man. It's uh, 20,000. Uh, it's, it's about 20,000. Yeah. It's like and between you, 18 and 20. Benioff just said 20,000 20, 20, the other day, so... Yeah, but he also yeah. says he has 2 million developers. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. true. Good point. But, well, well, the thing is, you know, you, you, could, you could strip down the product line and perhaps that's what the, the, um, the idea behind... Um, the what's it called the iq salesforce iq product's going to be that it's an off-the-shelf product it's very simple uh you start with a very you know stripped down set of products uh, and then when you want to move up then you move on to what was the sales cloud or with service cloud etc marketing cloud but 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 salesforce iq is very simple to get onto it gives you very you know a nice set of tools basic you know workflow for sales uh and then you can have desk.com plug into that etc for service if you want to so perhaps they'll do that, but 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 I do think that you know what you've just pointed out there to say they can't make money. It's because they've just got such a tiered system. You know, they talk about yeah. salesperson. It was a lot, a lot of their struggles SMB, in the a lot of the struggles. Just too in the, many layers. Yeah, a lot of the struggles in the news, at least recently, have been about them them being able to get people to add on to these other services. Like they come in with CRM, they come in with with the sales cloud, but getting them onto service cloud and marketing cloud has kind of been the challenge. So yeah, I, I see that. But again, you know, we, we're getting back into sales uh, as part of a service though. If, if you, if you lead with partners rather than with salespeople that don't know the product in quite the same way, not the product necessarily. Some you know, obviously some of these AEs are pretty smart. Um, and have you know have had working experience, but they're not necessarily from a background that says this isn't a technology product. It's a change management product. It's a change management project, 
And when you approach it from that perspective, it's not one times your license cost, which is some of the AEs are quoting that. They've been reprimanded for quoting that. They'll tell customers, oh yeah, if you buy 10 licenses, that's 10 grand. You can expect to pay 10 grand of implementation costs in your first year. That's been quoted and they've been reprimanded for that. But I think the point there is that they just want that sale. They don't care if their customer likes Salesforce or not because ultimately they get a great commission. They get real, you know, super, super incentives, you know, get to go to Mark Benhoff's dinner table at, um, in Hawaii if they do a certain number and it's, oh, it's, it's amazing. And you go, well, hold on a minute. What we really should do is the same we're doing to the bankers is say, if that customer doesn't stay for five years, you don't get anything. Yep. You know, if, if you were to turn it around and say, you'll get that bonus, you'll get those accolades if this customer stays with us for five years and the technology and everything else, all of a sudden, they'd have a much harder time getting those salespeople to sell nonsense because ultimately, that's, a, that's, that's difficult. That's why they're going to fall off eventually because a smaller product is going to come out. It's going to be exactly what Salesforce was. You'll be agile. They're going to change. You're going to listen to customers. It's going to be a little bit less expensive initially. It's going to offer the same set of initial features and, and customers will swarm to it in droves. As hard as it will be to move across, if it's going to save you, you know, um, two years of implementation and licensing costs, people will move. You know, everyone says it's too difficult to move from Salesforce. They move from Oracle. They move from SAP. They move from, you know, Sage, whatever they came from. So they'll move again. And, and I, I think that changing the incentive at the beginning and saying, you know what, this is what you're actually in for. Sure, it takes that customer, like some of the customers we deal with, it's taken them maybe a year to commit to Salesforce rather than a month. But now they're using the system. They really are seeing a return on that investment, but it's been a year. So from our perspective, that's not always great either as a partner because we'd also like to have you know, an immediate return on all the, the upfront costs that we put into helping them make that decision. We would. But you know, what would I rather take as a SI? Would I take a one-year hit and the customer hates me and the product after a year and buggers off somewhere else? Or would I take a five-year customer? I'm going to take that five to 10-year customer every time. And I don't think Salesforce has that same attitude. You know, it's, it's if, sure, I know they think about retention, obviously, because it, it costs them more than first year's yeah. license yeah. revenues to even to get the, to, to acquire that customer. Yeah. So if you're not staying on for at least two years, Salesforce is losing money on you. So surely yeah. they incentivize retention there, at, at least on the sales side. The problem is, mm-hmm. is as an AE, I mean, once you've sold a customer and they're, they're on the platform, you, now you're kind of at the mercy of, of the platform itself, of the support infrastructure and the support system that that's, uh, comes into play. And I mean, what do you really do? I mean, I guess, you know, sometimes you do have to contact your AE, you need some more licenses, or if you really, you know, are not, you're, you're stuck and you can't get help from anywhere else, you can, you can call your AE and they might try to, um, you know, break down some kind of barrier for you. But in general, they're, they're at the mercy of the, the system. And yeah, I mean, they're going to try to, when it comes to renewal time, they'll, I'm sure they, I'm sure they're incentivized to, uh, well, more to retain the customer. Not, Jeremy, they're not there. So in our case, well, that's the, the thing, right. Those, they moved on, right? They moved yeah. on. Yeah. New territories, new set of customers, new set of dead lists, and you know, new set of in, in, in interest to to chase after. So they don't care, you know. I mean, I'm, and I, say, I don't mean that derogatory. You know, it's, I'm sure they do care about the people. I'm sure they do care about their business and what they do as a life as a life work. But in the general sense, customer service starts at, at the very beginning. You know, starts by telling the truth. Starts by saying, you know, 
Um, this product is, you know, it will cost you a lot. It'll cost you a lot more than sage. It'll cost you a lot more than sugar. It'll cost you a lot more than dynamics in terms of the license. But this is why. And then you break that down for them and say, are you going to grow? Are you going to need that? And really determine this with the customer, at which point they go, yeah, actually, you know, I, I am going to need that and I am going to grow my service offering and I would like to get into ERP and I would actually like those, but I don't need that now. What's the thing you can give me today? So, all right, well, this is how we tear it. We'll give you this, this product and then we'll get you someone who can help you deliver the next phases with you over a period of time. It's that sort of discussion that, you know, I think as a, as a customer service company, that's what they'd want to prioritize, you know? Yeah, and I, I, think, I think that's actually, it actually inspired something in my head as I think about it. And I think back to a lot of the marketing that Salesforce has. I, think, I, see, it as, I see it as a big say, disconnect between marketing and sales because marketing very much likes to tout all the features and capabilities of Salesforce as you can do anything. And if you went to Dreamforce, do you think if you bought Salesforce, a Salesforce, <laughs> Salesforce license for one user... You'd get to do sales, you'd get to do service, you get to do marketing. You would think you would get all of that with your one user license, but that's not the case. The reality is that all of these things have their own cost, their own license. So you're, you're basically stacking these licenses and these costs. I really think if we're going to do comparison on premium products and we use Apple as an example, Apple, when they make announcements, they go through all the feature lists and then they tell you how much you're going to pay. It's going to be expensive. The, the iPad Pro is going to be expensive. People still went out and bought it. They knew what they were getting into. They knew the features. And Apple said, you know what? These are all the features. And this is what we value those features at. I think Salesforce should try to do the same approach and saying, this is all the great stuff you can do with Salesforce. And here's what we value at it. No, yeah, they're, they're never, they're they're never going to be that straightforward because they're, they now style themselves as an enterprise software company where you have yeah. AEs and, and meetings and dinners and all that stuff. Mm. I mean, this, they, want it, they, want it, they, they don't want you just to come and, and sign with a couple of checkboxes and put your credit card in and buy because they want to be able to upsell you. If they can't get you yeah. on the phone or get you out for dinner or whatever, they're, they're not going to have well, that chance okay. to upsell you. So, so let's take the Apple model where they, they tell you all the great features and they get you really excited about it and say, here's what's that worth. And because you're still on that hype of, man, this is great. You go, I'm willing to pay that because this really excited me and I feel great about this. Mm -hmm. you're, you feel great about your decision to spend $2,000 on a, on, a, on a tablet, even though there's others in the market for like 300 bucks that can do about, about the same what thing. $2,000 tablet are you referring to? I don't know. I'm, okay. I'm just throwing numbers okay. out. <laughs> and then, well, and then you go to Salesforce who just kind of makes this vague, this vague statement about all these great features, but they don't value it in the same statement. So whenever you go, your, your hype level, your, your emotional attachment to those features is gone. And now you're just dealing with price and your budget. And, and it's a huge disconnect between your, your ability to buy and the emotional yeah. connection. It's, I think that's it's by design. It's a big disconnection by sales, yeah. by sales and marketing. It's by design. It's not supposed to be really clear. But yeah, you're right. If you, if you start adding up, I mean, you can be at four or $500 a user a month really quickly if you, yeah. if you, if you <laughs> watch the marketing videos and get excited about it. Yeah. I guess oh, you that's want a not too bad. You want a full sandbox? If, you're, if, if you're generating, <laughs> you know, 10 grand per employee, you know, per month, and you're paying $400 um, for the whole suite, that's, I mean, I'd pay that every day. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's and, what and that's the point, you know, that, that is the point. But, but if, if someone turned around and told me, that I could get the same product for two hundred dollars and still generate the ten grand, 
that's where I'd get mm-hmm. annoyed or yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd immediately move because, you know, there's there's money to be saved here. And I guess that's where the differential, the, the, well, the other products that are coming on song now um, are going to are gonna make it even harder for Salesforce to, to compete because the lightning components and stuff, look, they are ahead. Salesforce are very clever about announcing these, you know, world beating new products that are not new. They're just kind of regurgitating something um, and, and, and packaging it as something amazing, you know, like the ETL products and all that. It comes out and you're like, oh yeah, but we could already do that with Tableau or we could already do that with Tibco or, or you know, Talend or whatever. We can do this stuff, but now Salesforce does it and it's, and you guys spoke about this, you know, a, a, a while ago with the, what was it, Lightning Connect, you know, how this comes out and they're like, oh, a new product, super fast on the platform, update records and, you know, super fast time and all that. And you're like, okay, good. This is, but it's not ready. And, it, and, and is it ahead of what Dynamics will produce in the next year? Well, Dynamics also works with all those other products and Dynamics as a license fee is less expensive. Yeah. So what does Dynamics not do today that Salesforce does? Okay, so their mobile offering's pretty poor. But you know what? Mobile is important, but the majority of companies, again, that we speak to are not that bothered because a lot of staff still sit at desks most days and they can work from home from a desk. It's still the internet. They don't really need a tablet and they don't really need a phone. It's the, you know, the if you've got a sales team that are mobile all the time, yeah, okay, they need a mobile tablet or, an, or a phone. But on the whole, Lot, you know, the majority of companies still use desktops, which is why Windows desktop still does quite well, because companies still buy, you know, funny enough, still XP, you know, but they still buy, you know, a plethora of of desktops to get their users to sit down and log in. So that service offering, that basic service offering that makes that would make Salesforce awesome, is to say, okay, it's actually 150 bucks per user per month for Salesforce and each of the segments. So you will get a sales offering, you will get a service offering, you will get a marketing offering, but each of those offerings actually work. They're brilliant. They're brilliant for one thing. So as a business, you could actually pay $150 and get a brilliant product. And then when you wanted something exceptional, so imagine if you tied Pardo into a standard Salesforce um, implementation and you, and you, you tied, well, the service cloud's quite good actually on its own. Uh, especially if you could get communities bundled and if you got, say, 200 community licenses bundled in and then you got the sales, the sales cloud tailored um, with, the, with the new lighting components. That as a service offering is quite good as a, as a standard offering. But unfortunately, the way it comes today is you don't get Pardo, you get campaigns with, a, with an HTML outbound email template facility that is so poor, it takes you know, ages to put together even a very basic word template, and then you can't send to leads and contacts from the same campaign. It's mind-boggling. So that basic offering is still very poor, and I'd be interested to see, um, in the, you know, in the, over the next year at least anyway, because the others are definitely looking at this and obviously want a piece of it. Although when we say that, when, when you look at the CRM market, there's something like 18,000 CRM vendors at the moment. Um, which is why Salesforce have reached that threshold, which is very difficult to break through now because they're just not going after the the five dollar per user per month um, base camp or whatever it's called, C or, or capsule CRM, or they're not they're not really that interested in those. Um, but when you look at those products, they're quite good for small businesses. You know, they really are. I mean, if you were just you know two three man band, 
doing some time tracking, selling your services. Those are very, very valid products, aren't they? They are. I think, I think Salesforce is just willing to let that part of the market go. They're just not interested in it. They'll never make money on it. No. And that's fine. So if you're going to put yourself at what type of business, it's almost willing, it's almost at this stage to say, for them to say, that's what we are. But now we're going to pivot and add, like they're, they're doing it anyway, where they've bought up you know, CPQ products and now adding that as another cloud. But it's confusing because it's not, it's not innately part of the, the CRM. So you've got Salesforce, a difficult name anyway, um, and these additional products that are not necessarily related to CRM in the first place. Well, I mean, most of these clouds are not very well integrated. I've no, learned, not, I've not learned the hard no. way. <laughs> well, they're, they're just marketing bundles. I mean, but they're, they're just, just they're still basically separate systems. Yeah. And there is some integration, but it's, it's kludgy and not great. But that doesn't matter. I mean, let's take AppCloud. Gartner just, just made it a leader in the APAS, I guess. It's a category of application platform as a service. And Salesforce is a leader on the app cloud. What, whatever app cloud means. Well, app it, cloud means the tools that you can develop in Salesforce and Heroku uh, and pl- Process Builder and Workflow. It's just, this, it's just this weird bag of random odd things. Yeah. And how does, you can say mm-hmm. this is better than something. It's just, yeah. I don't get it. It depends on what you're doing. From a sales perspective, it kind of makes it difficult to kind of sell it. I, I, a customer comes in and says, I want the app cloud. I want to build some custom solutions. You're like, okay, well, you need a CRM license, a sales license, a service license, this a is the way these, Heroku this license. Enterprise software and these, these, um, these analyst companies, you, know, you, you just write them a check and you get in a good place yep. on those a blank quadrants. Check. Well, not a blank check, yeah, preferably. but you know, they, tell, they, give you a, they give you a hint. <laughs> you go out to dinner with them and they give you a hint on what that check needs to be. Preferably that gets us, gets us past the 10 billion mark, yeah. you know. That's where we need to be. It's not even a hint. They have rates. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, absolutely. It's a, it's a, you, you spend so much time with somebody, they write the right articles, right? They get read the most, and then your surveys and research and everything get, uh, pref- it's the same with kids, you know, like we were doing research a while ago in South Africa around why South African rugby players are generally born in January to sort of March, April, um, because we start school in January. So the guy whose, you know, his birthday is on the 5th of January and mine's on the 11th of December. He's a lot bigger than I am when we start school in the same year because we're both seven years old. But he's six; he's seven years and eleven months older than I am in the same year. So, so no wonder he's going to be a bigger, stronger rugby player than I am in that first year. Yep. So that that relates the same way. When the competition starts, Salesforce is six months ahead of something they've coined themselves. So they pay all the right PR, pay all the right researchers to say, is this better than everyone else? Of course, it's better than everyone else. You're six months ahead of this new term, this new thing. So of course, you're going to line up in that quadrant. And what do you know? We won't be talking about it in a year's time because we'll have moved on to this new thing that we've, we've started and we've got a new name for it and a new industry for it. So we'll call it something else and we'll be in that quadrant. So, you know, it's very clever. And like I say, it's a game and it's just a game. We don't, we don't really need to focus on that because inevitably we're never going to win that. You know, we're never going to, you know, as, as, as service vendors, as developers, et cetera, that's just something we'll appreciate and watch it from the distance. Or, you know, in my case, running a company, you learn to get good at that yourself. Well, a lot, you know, of, you us, just, a lot of us do kind of look at that and kind of look at it from a distance and go, nah, it's going to change. It's a phase. But a lot <laughs> of big enterprise companies rely on those Gartner I mean, the, on those Gartner quadrants, they, they look at those quadrants and go, we need a CRM project product. 
Yeah. What does Gartner say? They have they they pay yep. Gartner money for these for these things for these analysis for this data. Yep. And and that's not wrong because I did that. Aligned. I did solution. I did solution yeah. architecture. I forgot what my title was, but I basically had a license to to Gartner. Someone would tell me what they needed. I'd go to Gartner and go, okay, who's the who's the who's in that leader quadrant? And I'd go contact those people first. So yeah, you're saying that, that you're saying that you're the cause of the problem, John. You, I'm you, part you, of the problem. <laughs> I was part of the problem. I did not like it. You know, I, was, if people, I hated myself for it, but I was part of the problem. If people didn't, when they had a problem, if they didn't open up that stupid quadrant and out of ignorance pick people from the top right section of it, then we wouldn't have this problem. The that creates is, demand it's, it's for It's a that. start to an evaluation. You go out there and mm-hmm. you try to figure out, well, who do it's, I start with? It's an immediate you, short you, list, right? On anything. You could you could go to Google and say, what I need, I need a case for my phone. So you Google, you know, top five cases for the iPhone 6. Yeah. Or Listen, top five bikes because I want to buy a new bike. I have a good analogy here. It's a starting point. P- pick, picking your solutions based on the Gartner magic quadrant is like hiring people based on the number of Salesforce certifications <laughs> I, I didn't they have. say pick it based <laughs> on that, but I did say it's, it's a starting point. It's an so ignorant it's, way to make it's decisions. It's lead gen. It's just like anybody else who's, who's starting their search for something who doesn't know anything about it and saying, well, let's see what's out there. Hey, as long as you well, as long as you follow on and and keep doing your homework. Well, I mean that's that's the idea, that's the goal. Now, not everyone works the same way and has the same ethics and right. quality of of yep. ownership and pride in what they do. So they may just look at the god quadrant and go, "Ah, oh, the Salesforce is there by themselves." Yep. That's it. That's what we're buying. <laughs> right. They shouldn't be by themselves. Well, in in that <laughs> quadrant they are. <laughs> Microsoft trails, you know, a few you know pixels behind. But uh, yeah, and if, I, if they're I, there by themselves, unfortunately, we, it's almost a product that you don't want to be the first to adopt. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like you don't. As oh, a, you mean a, like a company, Your risk assessments, like your risk, your risk triangle says, stay away from those bastards. They're far too. It's it's too innovative. It's going to cause us no end of trouble. Just wait until there are a few competitors. The price will have come down. The competition will have forced them to 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 listen and to you know to to you know. Calm down. No, see, make see sure you got it safe, wrong. Sure you got it wrong. Care. See, you want to be, you want to be there early so you can define based on your ideas of how that should look. Well, so, like with IoT, that, you know. with IoT, they're looking for, they're looking for people to define it. They're but, like, hey, come to us. Well, that was the extreme. Tell us what you need. <laughs> that was we'll the extreme example. They they announced a, a solution, and then six months later, they admit that they haven't, they don't have anything. They're still just trying to find ideas for yeah. what to build. Like we're we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, In six months, we're going to do some more evaluations. Talk to some more people. Well, I guess this is where the um, the smaller companies do really well because you know the entrepreneurs innovate based on a need, and in big companies that try to do that, and they've got the money and they've got the resources, but they battle to to hear the need because you know it's like any Maslow's triangle. I mean, look at your, look at all of us. We, we, you know, we've got a house to go to, we've got food. We're not too stressed about whether we're getting fresh water from our taps or whatever. So if somebody came to you and said, "Look, I'm really struggling here." Could you do this for me? And I, you know, I can't really afford to pay you the top dollar you used to. Will you help me? Sometimes you might help them, depending on your your mood. But on the whole, you're like, you know what? I just don't want to work on a Saturday, and I don't want to work for that rate or a Sunday or whatever. You know, so I'm not going to do it. And where some young innovator, you know, or, or desperate person, you know, straight out uni, thinking, geez, like I can't get this job. I don't have any experience. No one's going to give me a chance. I'll help this guy. I'll help him all month for that one day rate that you would have turned down. Um, and then he, he's now got something that the, the big company missed on, you know, missed out, put something together, or they've got something, not he. Um, and inevitably, the innovation comes through. And I guess this is why Salesforce buys these little companies and um, tries to 
to pull them in. But unfortunately, again, when you get sucked into a big company, it's really difficult to to bring those changes into the product. And there again, you know, um, John, uh, Jeremy, a few months back, you mentioned like you couldn't build Salesforce on Salesforce. And um, it got me chuckling for ages because I heard that, you know, a couple of years ago. And I remember thinking, so when they buy other products, I wonder if they evaluate how difficult it's going to be to rebuild that product into the platform before they buy it. I don't think they because do. I don't think, I don't they, think do they do because do. they don't rebuild it on the platform. They just yeah. they just claim victory and say it's done. It's just another cloud now. And what's interesting, even products that were native, like the CPQ solution, they they mischaracterize it all the way through in their marketing. Like Benioff with with the uh, what was it um, Steelbrick, he kept saying, "Oh, I bought this because they built it on Lightning. It's Lightning, mm. Lightning, and it's not." Right? And I'm like, "It's not. Yeah. It was built on the classic style interface and technology." That's just part of the Lightning. All the things, just call yeah. it Lightning. Just lightning it's a whitewashing of of you know. It, everything. it is, but but I mean, it, it speaks to the to maybe their process of evaluation. It, it's more about you know the the customer and that industry that they want to get into and in, and. In, you know, the revenue, potential revenue that it could bring in. Yeah. And, and, and that's true as well. I mean, you know, it, which is interesting because if there's no long-term view to bring the, the products into the native application, we're right back to where we started with this conversation around how do you sell that? It's, hot, it's so difficult to sell CRM generic. It's even tougher now as a sales force, you know, to the name Salesforce. To start saying, actually, we do you know financial services CPQ as well. We do we do manufacturing CPQ as well. Oh, and, and automotive, of course, of course. Don't forget. Oh, yeah, and healthcare and government. Yeah, yeah, and government. Oh, and it's, but yeah, we still Salesforce. You say, well, well what's the, what, what's the core product? Do we have to have a core? Oh, yeah, yeah, you must have the CRM. Oh, good, okay. But if you don't know, you don't have to because you can buy financial force with a platform license. Yep. Oh, so I don't need the CRM. No, no, you don't need the CRM. Well, but can I still have a constant contact? Yeah, you still get a constant contact. So what's CRM? And then the customer's confused to hell now. And, and as it turns out, when you buy those, fun, you know, if you bought a financial services license, force.com, no CRM, then you get the sandboxes for only 10% of their normal price. So if you're smart about it, you go, you start that way and then move to CRM because you've now scored the sandbox, the full full data copy sandboxes for ten percent to the normal value. Now that et cetera, et cetera. that little <laughs> factoid right there makes it worth listening to this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the thing: it's it's so if you you, you really want to speak to people, if you're about to embark on this adventure, you definitely don't want to speak to the AE because they don't know that. And then and even if they knew that, they wouldn't tell you that because inevitably they don't get the cut on that. Exactly. They no. do. They get something cool. Uh, so ka-ching, now we get to the root of the problem. Yeah, they're like, don't call, don't call Salesforce AEs. Call yeah. me. They don't want you to buy the- I, I know how to get you the deal. They don't want you to buy the $1,000 <laughs> sandbox. They want you to buy the $10,000 sandbox. Well, yeah, because it, well, it's not even ten thousand. It's a it's a percentage of a license fee. I think oh, it's it gets a lot higher than ten thousand. It gets a lot higher yeah. than ten thousand. <laughs> yeah, because it's a percentage of your license fee. So we had a customer that had, oh my goodness, they were spending about a million dollars a month on Salesforce licensing. It was huge, man. Um, and they wanted a full data copy sandbox, and they turned on and said thirty percent of your license fee. That's three hundred grand. Yeah, for no, a data I've, copy. I've seen I've seen sandboxes that cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, I mean, into six turn figures. Go, oh my God, I, 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 I'm not sure I want it anymore. But then in reality, you know, when I did the numbers on it, if they had built their own data centers, et cetera, et cetera, it was cheaper to do it that way. It was cheaper to pay that 30%. Yeah, but I mean, but to all, Jeremy's but, point, when, when we yeah. you know, make these kind of arguments, I mean, that's the value of going to the cloud that you shouldn't have to 
deal with that kind of stuff. It's already there. The infrastructure is there. You should be able to just pop in your credit card. But the and thing is, it already exists. It doesn't so, cost so, them to to spin up a, a a sandbox. No, but they're not making any money. So they must price it at, yeah, a, at, a, at the right price point so that they can make money. They've got to basically, to be, yeah, they've got to amortize their costs across yeah. customers who are willing to pay. And there's again, and we got to keep and in mind. We, you know, and again, I got to make it clear. I don't think Salesforce is necessarily expensive. I mean. Listen, no. if you're spending half a million, you know, or, you know, whatever you're spending on Salesforce in a year, and if you're getting good value out of that, and if no one can do what Salesforce can do for cheaper, then it's a good deal. It's not expensive. I mean, just that's basic, you know, free market economics. Yeah. But. No, exactly. If it works out for you, and, and I, I agree with you, uh, Jeremy, I think looking at the pricing and the customer type that it suits, that's important, you know, and this is where I'm always in trouble with Salesforce. I'm always in trouble, man. I don't know what I'm doing wrong at the moment, but. Because I'll, I'll happily tell a customer who, you know, look, I don't think Salesforce is for you right now. You're only a five-man band. You're not planning to grow. Uh, you're not going to change much. You know, you're not, you're, not, you're not telling me anything revolutionary. You're not, you don't really want to use your mobile phone. You're a mom and pop business that's been going for the last 25 years, and you're really just winding it down. You're not even planning to sell this company. Salesforce is not for you. You know, I'll tell them that. And then, and then you know, I'll get the AE on the line, like, what the bloody hell are you telling you know the customer not to buy salesforce and i'm like it's not it, they just they, there is just no requirement for them to pay the 90 bucks per head for something they're going to use five percent of you know they just don't need it oh what about professional i'm like you know what for what professional does and the pain that professional brings you they might as well go to something else they might as well use dynamics which they get as part of their you know their their, their microsoft package they can get a local chap to support that it's relatively easy. It's so well covered. I mean, you can, in Bristol, if you search um, IT support desk dynamics, you get like 50 suppliers. I mean, it's just so oversubscribed. So you get it for dirt cheap. That solves that company's problem really, really well. It's a good product and good. You know, you haven't got an annoyed customer who's going to slate Salesforce later on. Because honestly, when I first started with Salesforce, I'd say 80% of the people, maybe even 90% of the people that I met said Salesforce sucks. Don't even touch it. I used it. I hated it. I'm off it. And, and that was genuinely the case. What's changed since then, and you know, all accolades, whoever thought up the Salesforce community um, has done you know, Salesforce a massive favor. But spawning up community events, supporting those events, um, and championing you know, businesses to start their own communities, paying for that, that's fantastic. Trailhead. Fantastic. I know it's at its infancy. I know it's basic, but it is fantastic for, for you know, if you've got a, a company and you and you put your team on it, you get them enthusiastic, you send them to the world tours, you just you are indoctrinating them into something that is fun. It's fun meeting with people. I know you don't like it, Jeremy. No, no, I, I no, I do. And I, I know I joke about um, you know, the the what was it, the success community, just because I literally had never logged into it and I wasn't even sure what it was. But no, I think that's all good. And it's all smart business because by every one of those things you mentioned that gives Salesforce leverage. If they'll exactly, spend yeah. 10 cents on oh, whatever, creating something, they're going to get a dollar back in value because now they have this army of MVPs and admins who are out there answering questions for free instead of calling Salesforce's you know, yeah, support. Exactly. So, but it's more than that. You're building a culture. So at the moment, it's like every time um, someone you know, presents a business case to me, um, again, as the angel, I'm always thinking of a way to indoctrinate or to not indoctrinate, to, to migrate this product in some way into the Salesforce ecosystem. Uh, primarily because you go to, like where we met at Dreamforce, we, we probably wouldn't have met otherwise. 
if you think about the way the world spins at the moment, there was no real need for us to fly anywhere in the world to kind of meet up. But Dreamforce was a great place, loads of other people there, and then we met up. And as a result, there's a connection, a physical connection as well, you know, just slightly, but we won't go into that. Um, but, <laughs> but the thing is, it's, we've, we've become connected because of Salesforce. If I were to go off and start with, you know, a local startup that did a, a similar thing but had nothing to do with Salesforce, there would be very little to talk about really other than our kids and all that, but we haven't really bonded on that front. Now scale that up. Businesses that employ Salesforce users and send them to a community, those people chat to other Salesforce users, all of a sudden, they don't really want to go and work for someone who's, who doesn't use Salesforce because they can't go to the world tour anymore and meet up with those people. So you've kind of created a network and a, and a kind of religion, a church in a way, of people like meeting with people at these events, catching up, having a drink, talking about their problems, mocking Salesforce's cuck support from time to time, and then going back to their desk and what do you know, straight back on the on the on Twitter and the community chatting about what they do day to day. That's fantastic. I was super smart. And if Microsoft had done that, they tried. I mean, the Microsoft did have an MVP program, but they didn't have a community. Not in the way Salesforce does. And if they did, Salesforce wouldn't have survived. They wouldn't have been able to get get ahead because ultimately people were it was really it's really hard to get people off word, isn't it? I mean you, you just you almost can't. You know. Is well, there any I, I other think, winner the in, the, in the document space? I, I think you're right. I think the community kind of keeps Salesforce going. But I mean, if, if we're using Microsoft as an analogy, I mean, they were printing money the longest time with or without that community. <laughs> but remember and, and that, Salesforce but is still struggling to make a profit. Of, so it, I, I think the community kind of helps yeah. kind of keep them propped up. It, it keeps the, the, sticky, the voice yeah. out there. It keeps the attention on it. All the things that Benioff does, you know, the, you know socially or, or, or even business-wise, keeps the Salesforce name out there. Um, but they, they still have to figure out a way to kind of monetize this, to kind of make the model work. And, and to do that, they need to sell more licenses. And I, I think going back to kind of what, how we started this conversation with support, I think they really need to up their support game. I think it's really lacking. I think it's, it's causing them a lot of pain for existing customers. I mean, you, you go, it is a premium product. We will establish that and say that this is a premium product. And with that, comes the understanding that you're going to get premium support. That your, that your level of support will be adequate to match that premium cost. It's not. Yeah, if we, if we were to liken that to Apple, in the first year with Apple, and Apple only give one year warranty, almost all the other devices give you two. Apple give you full support for one year, and then after that you have to buy Apple Care, which is again a percentage of the product, for two more years. So that model would probably work very well for Salesforce to adopt. They'd probably lose money in the first year, as they do anyway. But then to turn around and say, you know what, you've had all this great support and really make it great because Apple Care is great. Turn around and say, we will give you years two and three for a percentage of your price and you can continue to enjoy this fantastic service, etc. I think that would be, you know, a major spin for for them. I would be interested to know why they wouldn't do that. Actually. I mean, isn't that what Premier support is? It's what it's supposed to be, but it's not but what it's it not ends up because you don't get you don't get that premium. That's the thing. I don't think you are getting the premium. I think you're missing out on on the premium that 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 when you walk into that Apple store, they do know who you are. You know, they do know who what your phone is, who you are, when you bought it, and if you if it's if it's damaged. There's no quibble. They just give you another one. It's a great service. 
With Salesforce, as you mentioned, even on premium, premium support, as soon as you say you've customized something, they don't want to touch it. Even if the partner has provided all the logs, all the data, all the infrastructure to suggest that it's not something to do with the customization, but even if it is, they should still look at it. They're the experts. They should look at that code. They should be able to read that code, look at it and say, yes, okay, the developer has made a mistake here. It's in this line. Get them to fix this, this, and this, and then resubmit it. I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, they do that with the when you submit ISV apps to the App Exchange. That's exactly what they're doing. They're looking at custom code. <clears throat> they run it through a you know a I can't remember what the, the the code test is called, and then it then it goes to a person who reviews it. So subsequently, they do have the skills to do this, and you know I don't see why they couldn't just say, "All right." Well, I I highly question the quality of those of those uh, reviews. So I don't think those are necessarily of the, of the security reviews. Yeah, yeah, they run it through a. Well, I will, oh, I will say, don't, it's, let's not start that one. I know it's tough, but the okay. the point I'm making is that they do they do do it. They do have a way of testing custom code. Sure, and and it is slow, and they don't have enough people doing it, which is why it takes so long. And then you book a problem, and it's the same story. You can't get someone to give you a, a reasonable answer, and it fails on the first thing as well. So you submit a problem. I mean, so you submit your code, it fails on something. They won't run it through the rest of the test and come back and say, you've got five problems. They'll just say, you got one. You fix the one, submit it again, and it says, you got another problem. And you're like, but you're taking weeks to get back to me on this. You know, why don't you just tell me all the problems? I'll go back and fix all of them, and then we'll come back and resubmit. So it's that. I know there's, the, there's I mean, we can really get into that. Yeah. But the point I'm making is that when it gets past that, that's not it. That's not the end of the game. You're now submitted in App Exchange. A, a live person then picks up the product and assesses it for quality, for et cetera, you know, whatever else they want to look at, and then push it into the App Exchange only after that. But it takes so long because they struggle to get people in that environment in the same way Apple do. When you submit an app to the, App Exchange, uh, to the, to the Salesforce Apple Store, I mean, Apple Apple Store, it also takes a long time because it takes time to get these good people to review code that can actually review code properly and, and, and provide, you know, helpful solutions to come back and say, okay, it's at this point that the product is failing, you know, go and sort it out and then come back to us. That, you know, it's a common problem. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think If you guys would just think... stop being contractors and go and work for <laughs> Salesforce, we'd be fine, you know, like, you guys are the problem. Get into Salesforce, just go and work for them or come work for us, we'll be fine. <laughs> I think I think overall, when we talk about support, it's it's your perspective on support. I think I think Apple approaches the the idea of support as we want you to be happy with this product. We want you to enjoy it, and we want you to love it. You paid a premium for it. We want you to be happy with it. So when you come to us with a problem, we're going to try to fix it. We don't care how it happened. You know, when I dropped my phone after you know two weeks after having it, I, I still had to buy. It was a discounted rate. It was like the two fifty. They, but it was a still a new phone. Yes, they didn't yeah. ask me questions. They made the process easy. I knew I screwed up. I knew I broke my $500 yeah. phone. And they <sighs> said, you know what? We, we can get you one for $250. They didn't ask me any questions. They didn't say, well, how'd you do that, you idiot? You know, they didn't do any yeah. of that. From Salesforce perspective, I feel like their perspective is, you must have done something wrong because our product is perfect. Prove yeah. it. And 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 I've I've only done one where I've proven a true bug. Jeremy has done several. Oh, many. Well, but it took months for me to do that. <laughs> here's the, here's the frustrating thing: is when you hit, like, say, the, the most common thing for me is bugs in the metadata API. You hit a bug in the metadata API, and it's, you know, by all accounts, seems to be a bug, right? 
Right. And all I want to do is notify Salesforce. I want to I want to say, hey, I just want to let you guys know. Here's this bug. It's important to my our our mutual customers. Um, I just I'm trying to surface this to you. Right. You cannot get through to to inform them about their own bugs because they because that's developer support is what they call that. Right. I'm like, listen, I don't want support. There's nothing you can do to, for, to support me except fix your freaking bugs. I'm just trying to tell you about your bugs. They won't listen. They will they not let you. that go it's through. Like, it's not like Apple where they'll pay you for it. You know, you say, look, you found a problem. Here you go. Here's a couple grand. Thanks for that. Does Apple pay you for, for that stuff? Well, there's a couple that do. Is it more security fixes? Yeah, where they'll, they, they'll, if you find holes in right. the system, then they will pay you to fix. Well, they won't pay. To, they'll pay you for notifying. Right. Them. Um, so maybe they should do the same. Start hacking away at Apple. Come on, Mr. Start getting paid. I, I just think this all goes back to Salesforce, I think, would love to make this all a, a lot better. They just simply do not have the money. You know, you can compare them to Apple. You can compare them to Microsoft. But when Microsoft was a $7 billion company, when they were a $2 billion company, they were making money the whole way. Mm. So was Apple. I mean, Apple's had its points in history where it didn't do so well. But there's just, you guys are trying to squeeze blood from a rock here. It's not going to work. They've got to figure mm. out how to make money before they can start I to address these things. I guess my perspective is, is it's not sustainable. You can't charge a premium for a product and have really shitty support and, and expect that your, your customer base is going to exist. But it does, John. It, it goes hand in hand. If it, you're going to lose money, then lose money the right way. But how do you Don't lose money on spending <laughs> billions of dollars on freaking world tours and dream uh, forces and fix yeah. your goddamn support. Hey, Dreamforce is profitable, dude. I don't think they lose a penny on yeah, Dreamforce. Yeah, because they get companies like a, like, like a, a Apture, or what was it? Who was it? Aptus. 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 To spend a ton of money. I almost said the S yeah. word. A ton of money, and then they go out and buy their competitor. <laughs> yeah. How is that for a down? Nice little reach well, around. Because you, you put the best of both worlds, man. <laughs> It's a brilliant business plan. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's so pretty brilliant. That, that is, yeah, I think You're just jealous because you didn't have that idea. <laughs> just jealous because I, I didn't have the Aptus money, man. It took over everything I, fun I wanted to do down there. Yeah. We'll get the latest prospect, pro, prospectus for this year. Uh, it's incredible, man. The amount you pay for things on the floor and, you know, like if you put, put a little heads up sign in the toilet and, you know, there's all sorts of... Well, a little, little birdie told me that they're costs. actually going to cap attendance this year that I think after a certain, like, maybe 170,000 or something, they were just going to cut off registration. Yeah, it's, ca- it's called Vegas. They, <laughs> they need to move it. They need to... It's, San Francisco can't handle this. You just want to go and gamble, this. you damn gambler. No, I don't. I don't I'm you not even a, problem, a gambler. Jeremy. I'm not a gambler. If I did, I probably would have a problem, but I don't. <laughs> you just want to <laughs> go dine with some hookers no, I just or wanted to be. I, I just want to be more comfortable. I want it to be a more comfortable conference. I don't know that Vegas is any more comfortable. Oh, it can, it can handle 10 times the capacity of San Francisco. Uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, that's you the problem is just capacity. You dodgy pool joints, man, you know? Yeah, we, 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 you know, your Ubers are 6X if you can get one. The hotel rooms are, they get up to oh, a thousand bucks a night. We got yeah. lucky. We were only paid like 500 a night. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's out of control. We paying five hundred bucks. We got an Airbnb and it was brilliant. No, well, John doesn't do Airbnbs. No, John doesn't do Airbnbs. I hooked us up with oh. the Marriott early on, and yeah, <laughs> that bill wasn't cheap. All right, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Okay. Oops. But that no, was great. Like, yeah, I must admit, it felt like being at home, and it was yeah. great. You just you know? pop into your local <laughs> house and have a shower without, you know, the, the, it broke a few times, but it was cool. You know, we fixed it. Impressed it. I, I just I don't like the whole Air, Airbnb concept. I feel like everyone's got cameras set up and they're watching me. Not that I'm anything to be watched, but 
<laughs> it just I just feel weird in someone else's home. Hey, embrace it, man. You just embrace yeah. it. Run around in your desk. <laughs> put on a show for him. To watch, man. Just, just make it interesting. Live once, you know. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like this has been uh, therapeutic. Has it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm glad. I mean, I, I think we have well, to... Well, that's how it started because cause we, we did our episode on field service and we went on a bit of a rant and then like, you know, and almost immediately is, after Sean was like, we need to do this. We and need I, to vent. And I kind of feel bad because sometimes I feel like I'm always complaining about Salesforce. And the thing is, is like, I know that Salesforce is full of a lot of really smart people who are trying very hard, you know, smart, well-paid people who are trying very hard to do everything they can to make their little part of Salesforce better. Right. Um, it's just, there's only... There's only so many resources, and by that I mean dollars. You're such a by that I mean hypocrite. dollars, not people. And and there's <laughs> there's so much to do, right? And there's only you have only have so much capacity. And there and Salesforce, they're every time you turn around, they're broadening their product offering. Well, now they've got now it's so wide you could drive a ship through it. <laughs> a boat, a, man, a dream a, boat, a cruise ship <laughs> full of yeah. poop that has yeah. to go out in the middle of ocean <laughs> to to dump. I mean. <laughs> And so, but what are you going to do about all these, all, all, along the whole way, there's all these quality issues and yeah. it's just like, and they feel like they've got, you know, Benioff is on this, you know. It is absolutely my dream and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to 10 billion. That seems, literally seems like that's really all he cares about. Well, you know, it's that magic number. What's, what's the magic number for retirement these days? Is it like five millions in the bank that you can live off the yeah, interest or something million, or six yeah. or something these days? At least a few million. That's his retirement. That That's his yeah. like magic number where, 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 where Salesforce could be profitable and comfortably is that 10 billion mark. This is what I think. Wait, but you know, when, when they were at 2 billion and struggling for like any kind of profit, who would have ever thought they'd be at 7 billion and still struggling to make any profit and still with the same issues? And it's just a matter of priorities. They're chasing those top line dollars. Because yeah. think about it. Mark's, we talked about his well, his $3 billion in Salesforce stock. That's all predicated on top on this top line growth. The stock price is based on this top line growth. If that starts, if that tapers off, then, I mean, that bubble, which is their stock, is going to bust. And there goes all his wealth with it. So he's, you know, I, I think he, under, I mean, these are things he understands, right? He, yes, he wants to get to $10 billion. He, you know he the, also, they're, 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 they're could have sold though. What's that? He could have sold last year. He could have exited oh, and sold last he, year and, and, and capitalized on that. And no, I'm pretty no, he, sure if you turn around now and said to Microsoft, listen, guys, whew, I was a bit of a bit of a bull bag last year. Um, would you buy it now for 40 billion? They would say, yeah, let's do it. You know, offers on the table. Let's go, you know. So, sure. uh, you know, I think it was it was a strange move not to take the exit when it was there based on all the things he said in the past. Um, but at the same time, if it's growing, if it is growing, um, and for the moment it's costly, but there's a way, as you say, to put the product together in in such a way that, say, let's say it takes another two years to get to ten billion, and then slice, you know, sixty percent of your sales because inevitably at that stage you've you've got the market you want. Now you're just tending to it, so you slice sales, you improve I- engineering um, to a team. If you slice, what, 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 was, what was the figure for sales for? 70% of the costs right now are sales and marketing, something crazy like it's that. It's about 50%. So if you, right. Is that yeah, right? So if you yeah. slice, you know, if you slice the 40% out of the, out of the top line sales, because you're not chasing new customers anymore, you've got to 10 billion, you're happy with that number, you slice the 40%, you've now started adding to the top line number, um, you know, and it is profitable. 
you, you're doing very well for the next two years, at which case you would then exit because you've got money in the bank, so you, you don't need it, but you could. And you've got customers that are happy um, and subsequently renewing. So you're very, very, very attractive to a very large exit. So, you know, potentially the business side of this still stacks up. You know, I know that, you know, not making a profit is annoying to the current shareholders, specifically because it's such a small return for now. But perhaps, you know, with a long, with a big hat on and, uh, you know, holding both thumbs as tightly as you possibly can to say, okay, so long as they get to that 10 billion and so long as they solidify their position with the product so that it is, you know, sustainable on its own um, and we could, we could cut sales and still maintain the customers we have, we're, we're winning, you know, but yeah, I'm just not sure. I, I, I don't know that they could make 10 billion and stop selling to the degree they're selling right now because, you know, the, those customers that are on the third year and are being told to rewrite applications into Lightning have to, have to spend again and then again and then again, you know, and I'm, I'm not sure they would at that stage think, yeah, okay, sales would be so great, I'm going to stay again. They might well start looking laterally at that case and how many of, you know, what is that and who, where are these analysts that are writing that sort of report where they're looking two to three years Ahead of time, it would be very difficult because where are they going to get that information? They don't know customers. Analysts don't get paid to look customer. ahead; they get paid to drum you know, up I keep, news. I keep waiting for one of these red monk guys to write a really incisive article, but then I realize that they're on Salesforce's payroll, also. Yeah, right. Getting I'm sure Salesforce. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think your your comments are, are fairly pragmatic. I wonder if maybe Benioff's decision not to sell and to keep going towards the pen, ten billion is far more emotional. You know, I, I I keep going back to the kind of relationship he has with Larry Ellison and Oracle. And I, I think for Benioff, I think his end game is to beat Oracle, to be bigger than Oracle, and and this is his this is his avenue to, to buy, do that to buy Oracle. Maybe not even buy Oracle, just to kind of say, you know what, I did it, you know. Yeah. And 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 that's Sean. It, I mean, you're, it, you, what you just described that is the that is the theory. The right that they'll at some point they'll hit a high enough revenue that they can then start to leverage everything they've already built into, you know, gross profits. Um, the question is, will they be happy at, at 10 billion? Will that be enough? Is, have they already passed the tipping point where they can it's start to do that? that's the tipping point. Because they've yeah. got Oracle. who's yeah, it's a, more that that, yeah. They've got Oracle who's a $40 billion company yep. who is fighting very hard. Yep. And you got Microsoft, who's a, what, a $90 billion, $100 billion company, who's fighting very hard. Can you stop at $10 billion and say, oh, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, um, leverage this now and start uh, concentrating on, on bottom line? I don't know. I mean, that's... I don't, I don't think so. I, I, think, I think this is very much an emotional investment on, on Benio's part, and I think he will drive the company to keep growing, and he will want to be one of the top three companies. Yeah, I agree. Or, or one yeah. of the top five. Probably I mean, so. IBM's also in the mix when we talk about all this in terms of you know, software companies and yeah. size. It's, it's, I wonder it's, though if, that, if that's what the future holds, you know, does the future continue to suggest that we will always need these behemoth companies or will we start seeing um, smaller spin-offs? Because, I mean, how many Indian companies are using Salesforce and how many Chinese companies are using Salesforce? None, and that's a huge, none. those are huge right. markets. And that's the thing. So they're not even tapping into emerging markets. So, well, they you are know, tapping the, into the, them. They the, are doing a mm-hmm. significant investment in data centers in in you know non-US locations. I'll say, but yeah, yeah, it, it's expensive. It's expensive to kind of reach out into that, and you kind of have to build the infrastructure and build the sales team. So it's a 
it's not organic, but it, it's it's kind of very planned and strategic. It takes time. It's not something you can just kind of turn mm. key. But who's to say those emerging markets don't start producing technology that's that's superior anyway? Because inevitably they're starting from from this position. They're starting from the position that Lightning just just reached. So they could start with Lightning, for example, and call it whatever they wanted and innovate quicker because they're starting at the smarter UI, the drag and drop features, you know, that the web offers today that you can upload images with a, a single drop and they, they can start there now. And Salesforce has got all this legacy to look after and they have to look after it because customers have paid for that. And so all of a sudden they could get eaten up from companies that are not even presently on their radar because we're not looking at those markets. We're not looking at, you know, what's the CRM of China? Is it Baidu? You know, is it which, which one of those companies is providing the sales force of China that could in the future turn around and say, well, we're going we're gonna to translate it into English because inevitably that's what it'll be. It's a translation exercise rather than a recode. And now all of a sudden we would look at that and go, hang on a minute, you know, this, this offering is fantastic. It's much faster. The infrastructure it's hosted on is far faster. I mean, Salesforce One is an absolute pain in the ring. You know, I don't know anyone who could run their business happily on Salesforce One right now. It's just too slow, man. Yeah. You know, but, but you never know. Those, in those companies, uh, um, Singapore um, countries, are, they've got far, far faster networks than we do. Right. And so that, that's always the challenge for these companies. Stop, I mean, Salesforce yeah. is an example of that challenge. I mean, Oracle and Microsoft both struggled to kind of advance their technologies and move from, from what we consider now legacy to the, to the modern infrastructures. And Salesforce did it. But now Salesforce is in that position of being in the legacy realm and having to modernize. Mm. And again, when we, look at, when we look at successful consumer products, um, you know, Steve Jobs wasn't afraid to to eat his own products, you know, so the iPhone happily, you know, kills off the iPad, uh, the iPod, because inevitably, why would you buy an iPod when you can have an iPhone that does exactly the same thing and have, you get a phone? I have kids who I don't want to have an iPhone, and I went to the... Yeah, uh, so there's a small percentage of people that will still go out and buy or, an iPod, but I inevitably, it killed the iPod. I want to jog or something with, with not my phone, but I still want to listen to podcasts no, or something. Saying, you know, you but know, the shuffle has been relegated to like some dark recess of the store. I can't even find it anymore. Yeah, exactly. Because the majority of people don't want that. The yeah. majority of people would rather just pay a little bit more and get a phone. The majority. So when it comes to Salesforce, you know, this new product shouldn't have been Salesforce with Lightning. It's almost like here's a new version, a new product. And yes, it's going to cannibalize our current product, but over time. So the legacy customers can move, move to this over time as they want to, as they wish to. But unfortunately, they haven't been brave on that front. They've had to move. They've had to bring it onto Salesforce and say, it's the new Salesforce. It's where we're going, uh, you know, in the agile manner. And fine, you know, agile does work. It is a good idea. But at the same time, I think that the, the competition, something we haven't discussed, might well move there and get there quicker. And subsequently, these other companies We'll be looking at Gartner and all of a sudden seeing, you know, different different names because they could do it. They're just not doing it, which is something that's interesting me at the moment. Why aren't we seeing unusual companies popping up into, you know, the Western, I almost said civilized, but the Western world? You know, why aren't these companies, you know, managing to traverse the the you know the point so what is what is it about them you know are they still too far behind are we too still too smart are we still 
innovating too quickly? Is their language gap too much to surpass? Are, are, are our companies too weak to invest in those companies? Is their the politics too strong? You know, what is it about them that that they just can't cross the gap? You know, I, I mean, I think that's answer Salesforce is, is attempting to answer right now. I mean, they're they're certainly not ignorant to to the fact that a lot of their growth is going to have to come from moving to these other markets and gaining market share that way because i think they pretty much for the most part maxed out their ability to get the easy wins here in the states and even maybe in europe and all those kind of places in fact a lot of their newer initiatives have been in europe and and in your area where they now have the new salesforce Mm -hmm. tower have you been there yeah of course it's still very weak though we still have a very low uptake of Salesforce in the UK. I mean, they would tell you it's amazing, but the reality is it's not. It's amazing. You know, the customers. Don't we have a clip? Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy's sitting back yeah. with his arms around his head. He's not ready for the clip, man. <laughs> that would have been a perfect. I don't have. Well, I'd... could you go, woo? That would be amazing. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so. <laughs> it just has, it, you know, it just, it is taking a long, a lot longer and it's a harder sell. You know, the, the, when I was in the States, I was so impressed at how quickly people make decisions and how quickly people change. You know, the Brits just don't change, man. You know, if something's fine, it's fine. Like, and, and that's the other thing. Culturally, when you ask somebody how they are here, people go, I'm fine. Um, I, I'm not bad. That's what they say. I'm not bad. And you're not sure. You're like, oh, yeah, we lie. They just don't want to talk about it. Doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. asked that some of that question here. We're just like, yeah, I'm good. I, I could be crying <laughs> on the inside. Just, just and utterly no depressed I mean, and crying and I'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah, exactly. You're not really cared. You don't really care. You don't really care if someone, when you ask, <laughs> it's just become something we do culturally to kind of sound polite. You're like, yeah. how are you doing? If a person says, oh God, I've got this severe hernia and I'm really suffering. You'd be like, oh God, please don't tell me that. I don't want to know, you know? Well, it's it's, it's think, more of a, just you know, a, a courtesy question. It's kind of like, hey, how's it, you know, what's up or <laughs> hi. It's, it's almost like another yeah. way of saying hi or hello. Yeah, so that's why Housel works for me. But um, the, I guess what I'm saying is that when you sell, pe- when you sell to people here, uh, face-to-face is far more important than, than anything else. You know? Um, you know, it's definitely worked for me where customers, I'll go see a customer, the Salesforce AE is trying to sell from Dublin. They don't care. You know, they, they will, Salesforce has lost that deal. And then I'll go back, meet with the person, have lunch, maybe go play golf, maybe do something mm-hmm. uh, just to get to know them, learn about the business, actually understand where they're from, what they do. Um, and then eventually over time, they'll, they'll say, okay, well, you know, what's this really going to take? Tell me like, you know, take the covers off here. What's it going to be? And it's that point that face-to-face is the only time to really have that conversation. And, and trying to sell from Dublin just isn't going to work. And I don't know how it works from the States. I mean, I'm not sure if the AE is a constantly on the road or, whether they are just sitting in San Fran or where they sit, but it's definitely culturally quite tough. And even with Salesforce Tower, it's very, you know, I've, I've, it's very rare to find an AE actually attending SART. Hmm. You know, so it would be interesting to see how the UK does pick up, um, yeah. you know, particularly now, this year's World Tour, it would be interesting to see if the 10,000 number, because that's how many came last year, is, well, I think it was 7,000. If they actually get to 10,000 this year, because that would be a good, you know, a sort of a fair representation of, of the uptake is whether these tours are filled up. Yeah. If they're not, then you can, you get a good idea. <clears throat> you know, Dreamforce sells are quickly, but 
again, there's not that many people from the UK that attend in, on the grand scheme of things, you know. But the, it's still probably the majority of the people that attend are US-based. Well, that's because there's a major cost, but, um, yeah. you know, I'm going to start waving my, my white flag here. I'm going to call Mercy on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, John's done. I'm 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 getting tired. I got to go home and get some dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but Sean, you've been a great you guest. I really want to have you back on soon. This this was this was incredibly enjoyable. Excellent. Good. Yeah, I've uh, I've liked it. Hopefully, the listeners like it, and you get lots of feedback, and the tribe increases in numbers. And before <laughs> you know it, you're being paid to attend Dreamforce and being paid to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to podcast life in the podcast zone, and then we'll have to have and, that asterisk um, that says that Salesforce paid for our. Yes, yeah, so Jeremy of won't do it because of his journalistic <laughs> integrity, which I think t- integrity does not. In- does not. Uh, anyways, we won't go into <laughs> that. It's not important. It's okay, not important. I guess it's we'll, just not important. We won't go into that. Well, Sean, well, like um, I say, at the end of the day, yeah, they can strip you of your accolades, but you, but they can't, you know, stop you from from doing the podcast. And then, if anything, I think people who do listen to this are enriched. I certainly am. So I would encourage other people. I'm sure you'll see an increase in your numbers next week, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I love your story of how you started listening to us, because you actually, I think you built our UK audience for the most part. You you just kind of found us, I don't know how, but you found us one day on well, your Mark way Gill. to surfing, right? Yeah, no, fellow MVP, Mark Gill, um, approached me one oh, okay. evening, because we had just kicked off our podcast, and we were kind of um, just chatting about you know general numbers who's doing well you know how many listeners what's going on and um, then he came up and said oh have you heard of these guys the good day sir podcast so i was like oh no i haven't and then i was i was going on holiday that weekend um so i downloaded every single episode and then listened like back to back and i was like you know what i'm gonna meet these oaks i'm gonna drink beer every time we (laughs) podcast now we're gonna get smashed up and shout the odds off at salesforce it was great you know (laughs) But it was because it was valuable. It is, you know, like I, I think it's too long, you know, but, but inevitably the, the true, you know, the true discerning buyer will happily sit through and have a laugh. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was certainly enjoyable for me, you know. Well, so. in, in the vein of tradition, because uh, you said you opened something special for this podcast. Hang on. So, on. so Sean, where, where can people find out more about you? Do you have a, a website or you didn't even talk about your podcast, but. What, where can people find you or what, you know, are you on Twitter? You know, all those sorts of things. Yeah, sadly, sadly, um, I'm not podcasting uh, anymore. Um, I try, we did try to put together, uh, once Matt left our customer, our company, he was a director at Designer where I work, um, and he left and subsequently his energies have gone into a new podcast called Technology Flows, which he uh, totally backstabbed me and did on his own. <laughs> but that's fine. You know, I still love Matt. He's great, and his new podcast is rocking. So, uh, um, yeah, so that's all good. Uh, but yeah, so we're not we're not doing that anymore. We Jen and I were going to set something up, but um, this year with the babies and everything, the commitment of time just uh, wasn't wasn't certain. And so I don't really like doing things half. So we didn't do that. But yeah, so if but I'm always on Twitter. So it's at Sean Homeless, um, and Homeless is H O L M L E S S. Or designer.com. I'm on there. I'm always on the community forums. I'm easy to find, I think, you know. Search you, World Champion, you know. Waves, you pronounce yeah, your, come your last name very interesting. To me, it's Holmes. But you say home, home mess? No, well, it's because my Twitter handle is, is Sean Homeless. 
Oh, homeless. Okay. Yeah. I, I never know. There's a great that. song goes homeless, homeless, homeless. So if I say Sean so, Holmes, I'm yeah. saying it correctly. I'm not, I'm not supposed to say Sean Homeless, right? Well, you'd have to drop, you'd have to say that L like that. You know, you can, you can <laughs> just say Sean Holmes, like a, like a normal person, you know? I, I just want to make wanna, sure I'm not like keep... portraying to other people that you're homeless. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is because uh, I left South Africa 13 years ago, expecting to travel for a few years and then go and do a degree. And uh, geez, like 13 years later, I'm married. I've got freaking three kids. I'm British. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> I drink. I've gone bald. I've got hair on my bum. Uh, you know, like, where's this going, man? Yeah, hair starts to crop up in places, doesn't it? <laughs> so, Sean, one of our traditions on this show is, is you know, the whole what did you bring to drink segment. And you said you had opened up something special for this podcast, or at least you, you brought something. So, so what did you bring to drink? I did. I'm constantly being uh, belittled for this drink. Uh, for all my friends, my colleagues, and particularly my mother. Um, but is I that because she doesn't want you to drink? Jack Daniels, or she she just she, <laughs> she thinks or she drinks better things than you. Oh yeah, she's fond of beer and wine and all sorts of good things. But uh, being slightly off edge, I'm drinking the Jack Honey and a bit of Coke with some ice blocks. Oh. I haven't had the honey. Jack and Coke is kind of yeah, my thing, but I've never had sweeter. the honey. Yeah, it's much sweeter. But then because I'm African, I love a bit of sweetness. I even put sh- uh, sugar in Coke from time to time. Is, is that a joke? Or you literally put sugar in your Coke? <laughs> no, I'm joking. But I, I was in Morocco not so long ago. <laughs> and they, they make this mint tea that is so saturated with sugar. The sugar literally floats to the bottom and cannot, the liquid cannot take any more. It's practically syrup. <laughs> But then because you're like they chewing like their, your drink with sugar. Yeah. <laughs> and because they do that, they do genuinely drop blocks of sugar into Coke. So I just use that as my no, I've claimed that, you know, it, it always gets a reaction, so why not? What have you guys got? Anything special? Jeremy has his uh homemade coffee, I think. Yeah. Or his coffee. Custom brewed coffee. Nothing special. This is Before actually bed. it's a it's a Brazil sweet blue, I think. I don't have that I don't see the label, but it's good stuff. I make little, I make one cup at a time. Actually, it's more of like, this is really the equivalent of two cups, but basically one serving at a time. And Here. he makes a mess in the you, office, so <laughs> I had to bring in a, a vacuum. John brings out his microscope <laughs> to inspect the, the office and the you studio know, I, here. When, when I bought that vacuum, because I bought a little hand vac for us. And when I bought it and Jody says, why'd you buy this? I said, it's for the office. And she goes, why? She goes, well, because we have coffee things on the floor that I want to pick up. And she's like, you and Jeremy are like, so the odd couple. Oh, we, we are. <laughs> but you know, when you grind coffee, you're going to get coffee ground. And no yeah. matter how hard you try, yeah. like, it's even, just impossible. Even me, I was trying to clean it up the other day. It just kept falling <laughs> yeah. out of it. I was like, what the? <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, uh, so coffee before bed, eh? That's a bad yeah. combo, dude. If I do that, honestly, Jen, Jen just hates me. It's just terrible. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I just have my good day, <laughs> sir, constant. juice, which is uh, four roses, single barrel whiskey. That's my good day, sir, juice. <laughs> The official drink of the podcast. Oh, I'm just saying, you're having a bad day. Drink some good day, sir. Juice. Well, that's good. Some happy juice. I'm gonna look. For, I'm gonna look for that because I think um, depend. You know, are you actually planning to go to Dreamforce at all this year? I know last year you whinged that it was so expensive. It cost you like your life savings and everything, so you probably wouldn't go again. Yeah, I'm not getting sponsored I, by a company. But I think the energy's anything, back. So it takes I, I a year know. to build up the energy again. It, it does. <laughs> I, I might have to skip it. I mean, we're not going to do a podcast because Jeremy definitely won't be going and. 
I don't know. It's it's really expensive, and I don't have anybody sponsoring me. So and, unless someone out there listening wants to sponsor me to go to Dreamforce, I'm more than happy to go. Hey, we can, of course, we my, can my start accommodations a poll. We can require close <laughs> close approximation to yeah. the to the conference. <laughs> yeah, well, seeing as it's a free podcast, I'm almost certain we could get a donation. You know, get get uh, the good day to your team to Dreamforce pot on your. And then, uh, team, you know, it's, it's an army, whatever, according to Jeremy, it's the good day, sir. Army, <laughs> exactly. It is, it is. And, and anything over and above that you make over and above, uh, we'll give to charity. And then we'll, we'll do something uh, that's a little bit sort of odd while you're there as well. Like, uh, all this, all these places that hair's growing from that you don't want will allow people to come and wax those off <laughs> and they can pay like five dollars <laughs> a strip or something, you know? Brilliant. Doing mm. something for charity and we get to meet lovely people at Dreamforce. I think that's how we should pitch it, yeah? <laughs> yep. All right. Well, we, we should tie a bow on this. But before we go, one thing I think we forgot to do is, uh, do you have any thank yous on this podcast that you want to make? No? I'd like to thank the two of you for uh, producing this podcast and for genuinely enriching the Salesforce community and my life in oh, particular. I'm blushing. I oh. can't think of anything better than to sit in the hot tub on a Friday after work and listen to the Good Day Sir oh. podcast. Thanks for taking us in the hot tub with you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had a few. Uh, Peter Chittum, who recommended our podcast and, and got someone to to uh, listen to us, and that's great. Uh, Adam Olshanky, who, who had some links for us on Big Objects that we'll have to cover soon. Um, Sean, of course. Uh, and Christy Guzman, who had a, a kind of a lively debate with Jeremy on... Uh, Encrypted fields. I think she taught you something at that point in time. The uh, masked He's also fields. not an MVP. Oh, yeah, really, yeah, masked. Really pleased with that. Yeah. So, and so Sean, MVP Christy Guzman. Yeah, exactly. Newly minted. So, Sean, I'll if you're willing, I'll let you sign us off with the uh, "Good day, sir" catchphrase. And to you, I say, "Good day, sir." Cheers, Oaks. <laughs> you get nothing. You lose! Good day, sir! Well, oh, shit. Now, now, now I'm on the spot. Okay. Alright, so, so, so you said early... <laughs> I'm gonna start over. Cut. Take two. Take two. <laughs> that was awesome. So, great job. Those guys are great, aren't they great?